the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. the stars blue shoot it wide rebound they score the captain has scored the stars are living bonus on the bench with the hands on the hip the blues have tied the game one to one into the far circle it goes they center they score two to one blues two to one blues that puck deflected in off a dallas defenseman and inside the final minute the blues have gone from a one to a two to one lead after just about every big blues win we get a text tanner it comes from alex ferrario and it says something to the effect of remember that one boys remember that one i gotta be honest yesterday did feel a little different yeah, well why don't you guys ever respond to my text you nobody ever responds to it tanner said yesterday oh we're doing this again huh i haven't done that once this season tanner it was last year and look i fell for the bennington trap this year i'm not falling for a flashbacks trap. this one does feel a little different with alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley it's bk and ferrario on 101 espn i love this blue season i gotta be honest with I you love guys this blues team because we come off of wednesday night's game at pittsburgh and we're like oh boy uh oh, this is not good. Bennington, just a, a weird letdown in the third period. The defense is a problem. What do we need to pay for Chikrin? How do we go find somebody to fix the issues? Say it, T Bone. Jacob Chikrin. Jacob. No, and then in their once. last two games against the Washington Bleepin' Capitals and good. the Dallas Stars, you go 2 0 and allow a total of two goals. And you find a way to win. And Alex, this is the theme of the season for this Blues team. In a way that they didn't last year, whether it was the lack of crowds, not being able to eat together, getting down early, guys being out with, whether it be COVID or injuries, whatever it was at the time, for whatever reason, they just didn't seem to be able to rise above that adversity that would punch them in the mouth. They would get knocked down and they couldn't get back up. This team feels different. They got knocked down last night time after time after time. And in the end, with a minute to go for the first time in franchise history, they were able to come back and win a game after trailing in the final minute in regulation. And what a game 
to come back in too. I mean, I walked by and talked to Jeremy Rutherford and Lou Korak, and Lou's going to join us a little bit later today, but I walked by both of them during the third period. God, what an awful second period that was. It was sloppy. It was slow. The Blues didn't look interested in it, which was frustrating. But then the third period opens up, and it was a one-goal deficit. And look, that one goal that went in, it was like, oh, okay, that was bound to happen at some point. Third period starts, and the Blues just continue to pepper Dallas. They take two penalties. They kill those penalties off. They keep themselves in the hockey game until they know that something's going to go their way, whether it be even strength, the goaltender pulled, or the power play where you can pull the goaltender, you knew it was coming. This is the benefit of having one of the best power plays in the National Hockey League. This is the benefit of having one of the best penalty kills in the National Hockey League. You keep yourself in a hockey game, and that performance to me, and this is why I sent the text message to you guys, remember this. This is one of those games that when you have a group of players that haven't been in a scenario like this, that don't know what this is like, when you're a group of younger players, right, and you're down by a goal and you lose that game, you're like, oh, geez, nothing we can do there. No, when you're down by a goal by 60 seconds and you say, hey, we're still in this, you start you start to believe what the guys are saying on the bench rather than just hearing it as words. So for me, that was one that was like, oh, those aren't just words that we're saying of we're still in this. We absolutely are still in these hockey games. You know who exemplifies exactly what you're talking about? It's Jordan Cairo. Did you hear his comments after the game last night or yesterday? I keep saying last night. It was a midday game. Did, he go, game. did he go back to back with the boys? Some hey, six he didn't, but thought about it, though. I thought he was exactly what you're talking about. Listen to this. This is Cairo. Probably as excited as I've ever heard him, including after his record-setting performance in the Winter Classic. Here's what he sounded like yesterday after the game. I was definitely really fun to be a part of. I mean, you know, that doesn't happen too often. You know, you come back like that in the last couple of minutes. So, yeah, I was just, I know it was pretty electric out there. It was, it was fun. It was a great win by us, too. He also gave his thoughts on Jordan Bennington after the game. And Tanner, if you can pull this up, his thoughts about Benner's performance. I think when you combine these two quotes, this is exactly what you're talking about, Alex, of guys learning what it takes to be able to win those kinds of games. Yeah, he was he was unbelievable today. You know, I think in the third period there, you know, when when they had that power play, you know, he made a couple of really big saves. And, you know, I was just thinking to myself, like, damn, like, you know, that really keeps us in the game. And, you know, we can come back now. And, and we did. And Joey said it on the broadcast. He said, remember that save. It was a pad save by Bennington on the penalty kill. It was either Raffle or it was Pavelski. But whatever it was, it was a shot that was blatant going into the back of the net. Bennington makes the save. And you're right. What Jordan Kyra just said is what I said. What I'm sure you guys said. Damn, they're still in this. You get your power play opportunity and then luck have it, whether it was a bad call or whatever it may be, you got yourself another power play to capitalize on this. But whatever it was, the Blues had the momentum going towards the end of that period, which they just needed puck possession to capitalize. And when they got it with the power play, they struck gold. Your last 10 games or last eight games rather have basically all come against at a minimum quality opponents. You could even argue all contenders. And in those games so far, you beat Dallas four to one back to back games on uh, December 14th and 17th. You lost four to two against Winnipeg. What are you going to do? You beat Edmonton four two. You beat Minnesota six four. You beat Washington five one and you beat Dallas yesterday two to one. You've only lost two of these last eight against legit contenders, Alex. And what they're doing right now in particular is they're taking care of home ice. They have not lost at home in regulation since November 16th. 
This is almost two months now that we're talking about the, the Blues have not lost in regulation at home. 11-0-1 in that stretch. It is just the fifth time, according to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, in the last 25 years that the Blues had a home point streak of at least 11 games. If you're going to win in the playoffs, you got to be able to take care of business at home. Now, they've got to be able to raise their game on the road as well. That's the next step for this team. But being able to take care of home ice, especially in this division where everybody has a huge home ice advantage right now, that is critical for the Blues to be able to keep up with the likes of the Predators and the Abs and the Wild when it comes to really making the postseason out of this division. Yeah, you got to find a way to step your game up on the road. And if you look around the Central and the West, nobody is good on the road, with the exception of I think Vegas is pretty decent on the road. But that's about it. That's how the Blues can take advantage of this division and conference if they play better on the road. And they're very capable of it. I think it's just clear that home ice seems to be an advantage for them having the fans in attendance. And uh, to what your point was, B, of of their home play and we're talking about their ability to come back and the resiliency of this Blues team so we talked about this in the office before the show this season that is now only the second time that the Blues have won a game when trailing after two periods and if you look at the losses after trailing there's only six so only eight times they've gone into the third period trailing and two of those eight they've won and you go back through a couple of, of seasons, like last season, which there's only 56 games for the Blues. They had a total of six wins, which was ninth best in the NHL when trailing after two periods. But the one that really strikes me, what would you guys think? And I'm asking more of the audience because BK and T-Bone, you guys know the answer. That Stanley oh. Cup championship season. We could have pretended, man. We could have no, played along. No, you, you hey, know. Rewind two seconds. Man, yeah. black flashy thing. None of us heard that. Okay, hey, let's go ahead and ask that question again. Let me take you back to the Stanley Cup championship Please. season. Remember how good that team was? They were great. They how, overcame adversity seemingly at every step of the way. They felt like they were never losing games, even if they were trailing in this third period. Yeah, right? they won every game that they went into the third period down. How True. many How many do you think they actually won when they entered the third period? They're 12? Really good. Yeah, I'd go about 15. Wow. No, it was two. It was two. So they've already this year. What you're telling me, Alex, if I hear this right, they have matched this year their total of wins in which they were trailing after the second period. The same number of wins as they had the entire 2019 season when they won the Stanley Cup. Indeed. And so we are making the comps now of the Stanley Cup championship. But here's the one that gets me. You love to see it. They were two, 23 and six when entering the third period, that Stanley Cup season. So in, in, in big picture here. The Blues, one, are not trailing going into the third period. And two, when they are, two out of eight times, they've come back. That's 25% if you're going to do quick math, math. guys. That's better math than what I would typically (laughs) do on the the fly. It's been impressive, man. And I, I know Curbs has mentioned this a number of times, both on the broadcast and when he's joined us. They're in every game right now. Yeah. Now. I would like to see them just take care of some teams the way that they did Washington on Friday night, where you just don't even have to really worry about it. You are not at the edge of your seat waiting to see, oh, no, are they going to give up a goal here? Because if they do, we're going to overtime. And it's always everything seems to be the one goal game, right? It's almost like a baseball team where you're relying so much on the quality pitching that sometimes you go into a game. You're like, I, I feel like we can never take a breath going into the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, we've got to use our best guys every night because we're always protecting a one-run lead. That's how it's felt at times with the Blues, so I'd like to see them take a little bit more advantage of that. But, man, these are first-world problems, to say the least. We're talking about a team that right now is 21-10-5 on the season, despite the fact that they've had their full lineup like twice all year long. 
this is a damn good hockey team right now. They're a legit Stanley Cup contender, and they continue their stretch on Thursday against Seattle. That's really uh, the only poor opponent that they've got here coming up over the next couple of weeks. That will be right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN on Thursday night. Alex, before we get to the NFL and some of the news from today, I was at the game on Friday night. I know your family was at the game yesterday. It was your daughter's first ever blues game, which had to have been a cool thing for you. She's the good luck charm. Season ticket holder now. There's a new thing taking place after games. You heard this? uh, Oh, uh, are you talking about what BK and Ferrario started? Yeah. Yeah. The the Beach Boys has officially become a thing out at Enterprise Center. I think they would go fun, 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 but it works. Um, I still feel good vibrations. I I agree, man. I still think good vibrations was the right choice, but it's easier to sing with. It it is. I I was in the crowd on Friday night and there wasn't a whole lot of singing along. Now, if this continues, if they keep winning the way that they are at home, you will learn those words here real quick. Oh, (laughs) God, yeah. Like, I would imagine by that Nashville Predators game, if they're able to win that one, I would guarantee that entire arena will be singing fun, fun, fun. This is a thing, and and I know some people are going to be like, oh, you're trying to force this, not like Gloria. No, 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 no. this is not force. This is the opposite of force. The the Blues did this. Like, the Blues did this when they were at the Winter Classic. What was the Eddie Murphy song? That one was party all the time that one was forced that That one felt like a player that was like hey let's make this our song and it's just not clicking you the reason gloria worked is because everyone got on board with it and it isn't even about the song it's the videos that we're seeing of youth that are going to hockey games like we saw videos of of players from afton in the lake of the ozarks where mike mckenna told us last week Mm -hmm. it was freezing these kids are putting on swimsuits and shirts like Marco Scandella with a towel on their shoulder like David Perron. These kids are getting on with it. And when that happens, you have started something and the players recognize that, which gives them good vibrations. Oh, come on, guys. I st- can, can we hear that one? Because I, I still fi- Come on, man. I, I still think that's this. the one that they should have gone with, but <laughs> they got the Beach Boys part right, and that's really all that matters. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be joined by our Blues insider for NHL.com, Lou Korak, coming up in 15 minutes. But next, we got to get to the NFL. What in the world are the Dolphins doing? And you've got six teams already that on Black Monday in the NFL season have decided to fire their current coach. Who the heck are you hiring right now if you're firing your coach? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Chicago, Minnesota, both organizations made sweeping changes clean sweeps fired everybody the surprise came this morning in miami where the dolphins let go brian flores so we already now have vegas jacksonville denver chicago minnesota miami that's six six and we are the morning after the end of crazy regular season and there will be more Uh, we are i don't believe at the end That was adam schefter earlier today on espn speaking about the six coaching changes that have already taken place in the NFL this offseason with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. The latest news now is just came out moments ago. 
it sounds like the Giants are going to stick with Joe Judge. That one does not make any sense to me. After what we saw yesterday, third and nine inside of your own 10-yard line, or third and six inside of your own 10, and you decided to do a QB sneak, essentially punting on that game, uh, th- that's inexcusable. I understand you have a terrible quarterback, but at least try running the football there, do something. Uh, he He gave up on his team, and honestly, his team should have given up on him today, but... That's neither here nor there. They are not among the jobs that are now open. I think the surprise for everybody today, Alex, is the Dolphins moving on from their head coach. I I don't understand moving on from Brian Flores. I think he's done a an admirable job with the roster that he's had under his tutelage. He's taken them to a winning record each of his first two seasons there in Miami. He's working with Tua, who is limited, but a fine quarterback overall. What more did the Dolphins want out of Brian Flores? And if this was some sort of power struggle, I mean, if I'm looking at the Dolphins and asking, hey, what's been better over the last couple of seasons, the front office assembling the talent or the coach that's gotten the most out of it, I would have stuck with the coach and figured out who's my new GM in that situation. I don't understand that move at all. It just it looks really dumb from the perspective of fans of the Miami Dolphins, when your head coach goes 8-1 in his final nine games of the season and you fire the guy. The only thing I can assume is that they have a better head coach available that they've already had a verbal commitment from. And I originally thought that was Harbaugh. I thought Harbaugh was coming back into the NFL, but then their owner basically says, nope, we're not taking him away from Michigan. So I don't know where you go with this one. This is the most confusing move. Mike Zimmer, Nagy, those all made sense, but... For a Dolphins team that it sounds like you fired them because of this, this will resonate for us St. Louis fans, philosophical differences. Like that's why you fired your coach because of a quarterback and you guys have difference of opinions on. I'm going to stick with the coach's opinion who went eight and one in his final nine games. So this makes no sense to me. And frankly, if you don't make the right hire, and I know they were talking to Sean Watson on the broadcast yesterday during the Dolphins game. If you don't make the right hire at head coach, it doesn't matter who you bring in because you're just going to be in this purgatory of not knowing where to go in the AFC. And by the way, apparently Deshaun Watson was tied to the Dolphins largely because he wanted to play for Brian Flores. Oh, that's out. The reports coming out today from Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports seemingly indicates that this changes everything for Deshaun Watson's future, and he may now be reconsidering where he wants to go. The Dolphins were the team with a bullet. I wonder if this opens things up for either the Panthers to go after him or if I'm the Texans, according to reports, they're evaluating what their football future looks like. I'm hiring Brian Flores. So I was going to say, if you're a team right now, like part of me is thinking if I'm on the cusp of not knowing what I want to do with a quarterback, hint, hint, Denver Broncos firing Vic Fangio. That's that's a really good one. Yeah, if I'm a team. And I'm looking at my squad right now, and my quarterback doesn't look like somebody who's going to be there, and we know the draft isn't that good. I'm going to fire my coach immediately so I can go hire Brian Flores and try and get Deshaun Watson. And I understand. I want to say up front, like, I I wouldn't want Deshaun Watson to be my quarterback. So let's, like, let's state that out front so that way we've got it as the disclaimer at a minimum. But if we're just purely talking about from a football sense, if I'm one of these owners or general managers and my bottom line is I got to win football games, Deshaun Watson is going to be the best quarterback available this offseason. No doubt about it. Russell Wilson, good player. I'd rather have Deshaun Watson, again, purely from a football perspective as my quarterback. He's younger. 
I think he's a little better. He's more dynamic. That's the guy that I would be putting all of my chips in for. Denver makes a ton of sense as being that team. But again, if I'm the Texans and I don't want to move on from Deshaun Watson, I don't know if they do or don't. I'm hiring Brian Flores and saying, figure this out. The the two of you wanted to be together in Miami, make it work here in Houston. And that's the path forward. But the fact that we can sit here today and say any number of these teams that now have an opening should be looking at Brian Flores, I think tells you everything you need to know about this decision. He's immediately the top candidate on the market. I'm going through the athletic put together their top 15 candidates for jobs right now. I don't know if I'm all that interested in any of these guys. No. Most of them are retreads. Some of them might have missed their opportunity. Eric Bieniemy, Todd Bowles, Jim Caldwell, Brian Dable, the Ohio State head coach. Ryan Day is on this list. Matt Eberflus, former Mizzou defensive coordinator, now with the Indianapolis Colts. Brian Flores, boom, that name stands out. Frazier, Nathaniel Hackett, Byron Leftwich, Josh McDaniels, Dan Quinn, Doug Peterson, Greg Roman. Those like are the I'm guys that are 2013 right now. I mean, Jim Harbaugh is another one that's on this list. He makes a lot of sense for the Bears, maybe, because he has the history there. I'm just not all that enamored with any of my options. And normally there's one or two that stick out that weren't fired that same offseason. This year I just really don't see a whole lot of super intriguing options. If I'm one of these teams that felt okay about my head coach or currently one of the teams that's like, ah, do we or don't we? I'm sticking with my guy over some of these options. I just don't get the recycling of coaches for NFL teams. And I understand, like, we've talked in the past about Jim Caldwell. He was a decent coach for Detroit, but, like, he didn't have success elsewhere. I I just don't get why you're going to go down the same path and bring this person in. I'm all for giving guys another opportunity, a second chance. I mean, we're seeing that in St. Louis with Craig Berube. Like, second chances pay off. But when you're giving them third, fourth, fifth chances as a head coach – it just doesn't make sense. So it's I'm either going to stick with the guy I got or let's try something new. Like I applaud Carolina for what they did. They went to Matt Rule. It's something different rather than going back and forth and back and forth. Yeah, I'm always here for the inspired coaching hires. Something that's a little outside of the box. Look at like Campbell. Or Camp Campbell? Campbell? Campbell. Yeah, Campbell. He was outside the box and look at I mean, I know they were bad. Was but- he? I don't remember him being the top candidate. I, I thought he was outside the he box. He had the interim tag twice. I don't even so remember I, who we're talking no. about. See, Campbell. Matt Campbell oh. in, in, yeah, in Detroit. 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 Yeah, I got it. See, I I think the Matt Rule hire is a little a lot more outside of the box. Like that's the kind of thing that I'm thinking. Okay, I I didn't know that he was even a candidate for a lot of BYU, jobs. BYU, right? Boom, uh, Baylor. 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 That's right. Yes. And previously he was up at Temple, and he did a good job of both places. He did have a little bit of NFL history. I don't see a whole lot of outside-the-box hires that are out there this offseason. Would you consider Harbaugh to be that? No. Because he's he's been an NFL head coach before. But he was successful with it, which is why I would give it another shot. And that's maybe the second chances, because it's not like... I, the- Doug Peterson is that guy for me. Like He is absolutely a retread, but also he won a Super Bowl, man. Like, <laughs> And that was his first head coaching spot, right, with yes. Philly. Yeah, I would give that a shot. I'm thinking more along the lines of... He would be the guy that I would, if I'm Miami... He's the one that I'm going. After. I'm thinking more of like a Caldwell or a Bulls or like or Quinn. Older coaches. Yeah, I'm thinking of the guys that have been there, done that, and it's the same thing over and over. You know exactly what you're getting. Maybe you'll get a little bit of a hot streak in your first season and feel like, oh, what a hire. But year two, three, or four, it's gonna fall off. I just don't understand going back and forth. Where I would rather bring in a younger guy who's got a different mindset 
to say, let's see what this turns into in three years. And that's why, like, if you're going one of those retread offensive minds versus Eric Bieniemy, I would give Bieniemy his first opportunity. Yeah. Let's see what it looks like. I, I don't know if he's going to be a good head coach or not, but I would want to find out. Like if I'm one of these teams, I, I want to know, is this guy actually capable of being the head guy? Yep. And if you're going to fire your head coach right now, like if you're if you're the Vikings and you're trying to go a new route, I would have to imagine you're probably focusing on the offensive side of the ball this time around, right? Like the way that this typically works, the pendulum swings in the other direction. If you had a defensive, hard-nosed guy like the Broncos and the Vikings, you're probably going to hire a young, hot-shot offensive mind. And then if you had that offensive mind, you're probably going to go the other direction, and that's when you fought, you you end up hiring your Vic Fangios or something like that. Like, it goes in one direction to the other. You swing the pendulum all the way around. I, I just don't understand why we're not talking more Eric Bieniemy or guys like that, but yet Bill O'Brien's name keeps resurfacing. resurfacing. Like, I actually think... Don't. Dude, I he, actually like Bill O'Brien. He obliterated the Houston Texans. Yeah, Don't make never, him your GM. Yeah, he should have never <laughs> been a GM. Well, if he's going to be the head coach, he's probably going to be the GM sooner or later. M- maybe. But, like, for example, with the Vikings, if they end up hiring a quality general manager and then that GM goes out and hires Bill O'Brien, I won't totally crush that hire as God. long as bill o'brien learned the lessons from his time with the texans yeah, don't trade not some of your best players deandre hopkins Good and Lord. not alienating your best players i i think bill o'brien is solid a lot of these guys that are on this list i don't even know if i feel that way about them like brian dable's fine I don't know that I need to see him as my head coach. Matt Eberflus didn't. I don't know okay who that is. The defense coordinator for the Colts. He did an okay job with that defense. I wouldn't say they're they anything special. Didn't they just lose to the team that's selecting first overall? I actually think if you're going to go this route, Leslie Frazier's a guy that I would be interested in. He's the defensive coordinator for the Bills. He did have a little experience as the head coach for the Vikings. Uh, he would be of interest for me. And then Nathaniel Hackett apparently has a great relationship with Aaron Rodgers. And if you can have a good relationship with Aaron Rodgers, you can have a good relationship with anybody. So he's the offense coordinator for the Packers. He's something, somebody that I would give a look to, but none of these jump off a page. Like when Kyle Shanahan was the offense coordinator for the Falcons and he got the job with the 49ers, no brainer hire. When Andy Reid became available in the off season, no brainer, whoever gets him, I know you're going to have success, right? Even Josh McDaniels early on when he was the offense coordinator for the Patriots and went to the Broncos, I thought that had a chance to succeed. It failed miserably there, of course, but I thought it had a chance to succeed because he was the next up-and-coming guy. There's not really anybody that has that kind of cachet this Other than Flores. Flores is my guy. Flores is the guy. There's there's no, uh, what would be the word, transitional offensive coordinator in terms of they Transcendent. Transcendent, that's the word. Thank you. Because like Sean McVay, Kyle Shan, they came in and like, Look at it. Sean McVay's offense was so new to the NFL. I don't know if it was so new, but the scheme was kind of new to where people actually couldn't stop Jared Goff. Yep. And he got them to a Super Bowl with it in his first year. And that was kind of the same for Kyle Shanahan. That Shane was another outside-the-box hire, by the yeah. way. Nobody saw that one coming. Because he was a very young coach, and he was coach of the Washington Redskins at the time. And they were, excuse me, offensive coordinator at the time, and they weren't playing that well. They were like a mediocre team. Mm-hmm. And I think Alex Smith was the quarterback at that point, maybe. I think it was a little before him, but yeah. But so there's none of those guys that really stick out on the page, at least none that I think of. I think somebody will make a move that we're not thinking of. Who does it? 
I don't know. To me, it's probably Miami because Miami went bold. And that's the other thing with this move is it's not like they lost yesterday. They won pretty handily against New England, too. They ended too. up, what, 9-8 and eight on the season? Like yeah. that team- Flores had a better record over the last three seasons than Bill Belichick. Like, my God. That's- I mean, how are you, Fire him. How are you firing that guy? It, it, last thing on this, and we'll get to Luke Horak here in just a moment. If you're Flores and you have any any opening that is currently available, they'll hire you. Other than the Dolphins, of course, because they fired you. Where, where do you want to go? Bears, Broncos, Jaguars, Raiders, Vikings. If you could go to any of those five jobs that are currently available, which one would you want? Am I taking weather in consideration? Well, I mean, take anything into consideration. Sure. Living, like nice living conditions. I, I think for me, your it quarterback would, situation. I think for me, it would be everything. Denver number one. Chicago number two and pick your pick your bunch I mean Minnesota probably over Jacksonville but yeah I, it would be Denver first because I think you have all of the weapons there minus the quarterback and if you're bringing Brian Flores and you know of a certain quarterback who wants to play for you who could turn your team into a Super Bowl contender yeah that's where I'm gonna go but I, I think Chicago's at least in a position that if you get the right person there, could turn the team into a contender. See, I think if I'm him and, and the rumors are true and Watson is the main reason he wants to come play for me, I'm going to Denver because I know they have the assets. Same. Defensively, they can go trade for him. Chicago would be interesting. The problem with Chicago is they have that young quarterback. I'm either going, if I'm him, I'm number one is Denver, and then number two would be Houston where Watson already is. The only issue with Denver is your division. Because you've got to worry about Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes for the next 15 well, years. Herbert's not good. <laughs> Can't even make the playoffs. He was awesome God, that last night. so disappointing. He was awesome last night. That's the only thing that I think is a drawback of that job. Because everything else screams this is the best job on the market. If they were in the AFC South, I would be like, take that job tomorrow. It's, it's obviously the best job available. But because they're in the AFC West, the only thing that's holding me back just a little bit the other thing is, if you're him and you believe in Trevor Lawrence, and I'm not sure that I'm all in on him, the Jaguars is actually a decent job. You know the ownership's going to stick by you. Like, if they stuck by Urban Meyer as long as they did, they're going to be patient with what you do as a head coach. So the Jaguars would be another one of interest, but I, I actually think the Vikings are a legitimately pretty good job. Uh, ownership is pretty good there. If, if you end up paired with the right general manager, I do think you could get that turnaround. It just feels like they're trending in, in the order. wrong direction. But I think he could he could turn it around. He, he's the type of guy that was able to tread water in a team that was clearly tanking. Uh, so if, if he ended up with the Minnesota Vikings, I think he would do pretty well there. In about 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. But next, let's talk to Luke Korak, Blues Insider for NHL.com. What was his biggest takeaway from the two huge wins for the Blues over the weekend? We'll ask Lou next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner's wonderful update, specifically on the New York Giants. Adam Schefter reporting that Dave Gettleman, the general manager of the New York Giants, has officially announced his retirement. This feels like one of those that he's getting a nice gift to go away and he will move into a new quote unquote advisor role, I would imagine, (laughs) with the Giants. So Dave Gettleman is out. It sounds like they are, for whatever reason, going to stick with Joe Judge and will have him paired with a new general manager. So that is the latest in the NFL. We go out right now, though, to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by the one and only Blues Insider for NHL.com. He is Luke Korak joining us on BK and Ferrario. Lou, how you doing today, man? 
What's going on, guys? How are you? Uh, doing very well. So two big wins for the Blues over the weekend. On Thursday, we were all freaking out because of the loss on the road at Pittsburgh. And then now you get into Monday morning. It's like, hey, everything's fixed for this team now, right, Lou? <laughs> I don't know about fixed, but uh, you've got to admire the resiliency. And that's something that uh, they've consistently showed throughout the year. You know, these are big tests. Uh, Washington was a big test. Uh, Dallas is a big test. I mean, they had come off four straight wins where they'd scored 20 goals and uh, just came off of uh, halting Pittsburgh's 10-game winning streak, which, uh, you know, the Blues couldn't uh, handle that themselves. And uh, they were able to do it and play in some pretty good hockey. And somehow, some way, guys found a way to win. I still, you know, think about it now. I don't know how they pulled that off, but somehow they were able to do it. All I can tell you is those are the kind of games uh, – that are a writer's nightmare when you pretty much uh, have to file on uh, at the buzzer. You already have a story written and uh, you just hit control alt delete and uh, pretty much start from scratch in, in about a minute's time. But you know what, as much as I hear it from fans, especially around here, when it's uh, on the right end of things, we really don't care. Just write the winning story. So, and that's pretty much what we were faced with and that's what happened. And uh, all's well as everybody wakes up on a Monday morning here uh, with the blues and uh, playing some pretty good hockey uh, as a whole. Yeah. Lou RIP to that laptop that you chucked off of press row inside <laughs> enterprise center, man. Let me know how, let me know how expensive that new one is that you got to purchase today. Um, so this is two straight games, Lou, after the Pittsburgh penguins lost that the blues have held some pretty good opponents to one goal. I mean, you do that against the capitals. Now I know they didn't have Oshie and Backstrom, but I mean, they eliminated Ovechkin and Kuznetsov. And then last night, I know Dallas doesn't seem like the, the the scary team, but they had 19 goals scored in four games. Where are you at on this team's defense? Um, well, you got to start, uh, especially in the last two games, uh, you got to start with your goaltending. Um, if you go back to the Washington game, uh, if it wasn't for Billy Husso, that easily could have been three or four to nothing 10 minutes into the game. Players pretty much admitted that and once they were able to settle in, you know, you, you focus in on uh, some of those top goal scorers, Ovechkin, namely, uh, that Washington has, and, uh, you know, Husso was uh, steady, solid, like a rock the rest of the game, and uh, I'll be honest with you, yesterday again, you know, you, you wondered uh, how Jordan Bennington was going to come out and play, and uh, I'll be honest with you, a lot of the talk is, you know, about the resiliency and how they stuck with it and finally got to their game in that third period, uh, you uh, take away uh, Jordan Bennington from that game, uh, I don't think they had that opportunity. I mean, he basically kept that a one-shot game, making a number of clutch saves, and pretty much off of some blatant turnovers that uh, have been pretty uncharacteristic. And, uh, you know, Bennington was up to the task. So if it, it's got to start with your goaltending uh, with this team. And usually when things are going well, that's where it always starts with, and, and it trickles out to the rest of the guys. And I thought for the most part, uh, other than the hiccups they had uh, as far as puck possession was concerned, uh, they did a pretty decent job. On uh, they, they really didn't give up too much unless it was off of their own mistakes. So, you know, you, you like the way the Pareko, Mika LaPering played and Falk and Krug. And, yeah, those are two guys that had some uncharacteristic turnovers yesterday. But for the most part, they've been playing pretty good. And, you know, you go back to putting Robert Bortuzzo back in this lineup, I've liked what he's brought again. You know, I mean, he's, he's not going to be that guy that's going to wow you on the stat sheet, but he just goes out there and does his job. So it's, it's kind of rounding into form here. And you got to like the fact that, you know, you've only allowed, you know, one goal average per game in the last couple. Let's see if they can sustain this. But uh, 
this is kind of how blues hockey is. You know, you limit your opposition and take advantage of opportunities when you get them. And uh, that's pretty much the way it played out yesterday, but uh, two nice wins to start off the homestand and uh, really uh, making it solid footing uh, in this building, which is something that this team focused on was being a real good home team because guys last year, they were 12, 11 and five at enterprise center. And, they know to a man that just wasn't good enough. And uh, 14, three and two on home ice right now, uh, making it very imposing for teams to come in, uh, thinking it's going to be a hard game when they come into this building. Luke Horak is a blues insider for NHL.com. You can find his work on NHL.com or follow him on Twitter at L Korak 10. He's joining us now on BK and Ferrario. Lou, I wanted to ask you about Pavel Buchnevich because you look at what he's doing right now. And I, I mean, he's, he's a man on a mission. It seems like in his last 15 games, he has 21 points and he's a plus 12 when he's been on the ice, averaging almost 20 minutes per game in those 15 games. We've talked so much this year about Jordan Kyrou's breakout and his ascent on this team. If not for him, I think we'd be talking a lot about Pavel Buchnevich being a point-per-game player. What surprised you, if anything, about what we've seen from Buchnevich so far this season in his first year as a Blue? Uh, just If there's anything that surprised me is just how quickly he's fit in. I mean, you know, you take a guy that transitions, and you hear it all the time, uh, and we've seen it from the defensive end here on this team, particularly look how long it took for Justin Falk and Tori Krug to transition from Eastern conference players to what, to the West style. I think Buchnevich, you know, coming from the Rangers, you know, he's, you know, you hear it all the time, but he's fit in like a glove. I mean, it, it's amazing. Uh, you know, any role that they put him in, it seems like any partners that they put him in with on a line, it, it, it just seems to click. And I mean, right now he's tied for 15th in the league and plus minus. And you guys have heard from me before. A lot of times uh, to me, that plus minus stat, you know, can be pretty fickle, but you know what? Uh, a lot of times uh, it's warranted for, for certain people. And, and I think for him, it's warranted his numbers. I mean, he's, you know, he's right up there, you know, with the league best at plus 16 and, uh, there's a reason for it. I mean, he plays both ends of the ice. Uh, there, there's a, there's an edge to him. Uh, he's a playmaker. He can score goals. I mean, he scored a beautiful goal the other night against Washington, you know, with the wrist shot from the high slots and picks the top corner. The guy can pretty much do everything. He kills penalties. He can play on the power play. Uh, had had uh, good rapport there when he was playing with uh, Tarasenko and, and uh, Barbashev when they had the, uh, the all Russian line going. And, uh, but it, again, it's, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, Doug Armstrong, uh, recognized, uh, a potential need and a, and a guy that can be an all around player for this hockey team goes out and makes, makes a great trade. And, uh, you know, he's been, everything is advertised. And, uh, you know, I, I've talked to people that have covered the Rangers that have over and over again, told me, uh, you're, they're getting a good player there in St. Louis, and uh, you're, you're going to see it really quick. If you haven't watched him on a regular basis, uh, his play just continues to rise, and I, I think you're seeing that. And uh, he's he's been a great fit on this hockey team, and, and and a guy that teammates really seem like they enjoy playing with. Lou Craig Bruby has also been a great fit for this Blues team since he took over as head coach. I mean, there's so many numbers that go into it, but the part that I've been really impressed by this season is he and his coaching staff's ability to grow these younger players. I mean, you're seeing Ivan Barbashev turn into a top six forward. Jordan Cairo's emerging. Robert Thomas has taken that next step. Are you surprised that we have not seen a contract extension yet for Craig Berube? Yes. 
I, I honestly, I, I am. And, uh, I think he's deserving of it. I think it's warranted. Uh, just look at, just look at the body of work. Uh, you know, you can go back obviously to the Stanley cup year. Yeah. You know, the, he's the only coach in, in uh, team history to win a Stanley cup, but, uh, we haven't had a normal season really since. And the way that this coaching staff and he in particular have been able to adjust on the fly, whether it be injuries or dealing with all these COVID issues. I mean, the blues are up to what 17 players that have uh, been in and out of protocol and they seem to be able to offset those guys. And right now you don't, you know, you haven't had Tarasenko, Perunovic and Walman now for the last couple of games, but they seem to be able to, you know, you take those guys out of a lineup and you're able to funnel in, other players and put them in roles where they feel like they think they can thrive and, and they just don't seem like they miss a beat. I mean, there's teams that, you know, could have a Vladimir Tarasenko and the kind of numbers that he's put up and, you know, just take one player like that with that kind of caliber out of your lineup. And uh, it, it can drastically offset what you're doing and the success you're having, but here they are, you know, the blues have won two games without them. You know, you're le- your leading point guy. Well, now it's Jordan Cairo, but at the time it was Tarasenko. So I just like the fact that, uh, you know, they stay cool under pressure. I mean, that they don't, they don't get rattled as a coaching staff. Craig Berube just kind of goes about his business. I mean, he doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low. And I think the players just feed off of his energy. I mean, look at what Ryan O'Reilly said yesterday, you know, things weren't going their way for 40 minutes and uh you know they they get a nice little pep talk from uh from chief and uh you know all of a sudden things turn around and they're able to find a way and you see you see that quite often and uh you know they had the best record uh, going into uh the pandemic a couple of years ago and you know last year maybe was a little bit of an up and down year but somehow was able to get that team to the playoffs with all the injuries that they've had so i'm just really impressed with the body of work that you know, he's provided for this hockey club. And uh, yeah, you know, to answer your question, Alex, I am surprised. And I would think uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it came today, if it came next week, if it came next month, but at some point in time, I think it's got to be addressed. And I think Craig Berube deserves to be the head coach of this team moving forward. He's Lou Korak. You can find his work over at NHL.com where he is their blues insider. Lou, we always appreciate the time, man. Enjoy a couple of days off and we'll talk with you again soon, my man. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. You got it. That's Luke Korak joining us here on 101 ESPN. I asked about Pavel Buchnevich there, Alex, and how he's kind of almost gone under the radar. Mm -hmm. You said before the season, and some people laughed at you. Maybe somebody on the show, uh, myself included, that he could be a legit 30-goal scorer for the Blues. Man, he's currently on pace to score 30 goals for the Blues this season. And in his career prior to 2022, his career high was 21 goals in any individual season. They're getting the most out of this guy. And watching him in the arena is a different experience than watching a game on television. Friday night was my first time being able to do so. Man, he is everywhere. The way that he plays defensively through the neutral zone, the way that he is able to play make for his line mates, He makes everybody around him better. And if you're one of the guys on this team, like they have this in Ivan Barbashev. I I think Jordan Cairo has some of that ability as well. Like they're starting to build a number of players that when you put anybody else on their line, you're going to get the best out of them. Like Thomas is that O'Reilly is that Buchnevich Cairo, 
all of them have Barbie, all have that ability right now to make anybody around them a little bit better, raise their games along with just being good on the ice. Man, you you start collecting more of those players, and this is how you get to the place where the Blues are today. Yeah, I, I mean, what I also like about him that people don't talk enough about is what Lou mentioned, and he brings a little bit of edge to his game. And I don't think the Blues have really had that in a long time. A guy who can score goals, who can be a point producer, but also has edge to his game. And I think that's necessary in today's game. I mean, you got to have guys who can get underneath the skin of the opposition. And look, I thought Pavel Buchnevich and his line did a great job playing against Jamie Benn's line last night. Like, no longer does Jamie Benn skate around and just do whatever he wants because he has to answer to guys like Pavel Buchnevich. Remember what Buchnevich did to Tom Wilson with the Capitals last season between the Rangers? He's a guy who takes no BS from the opposition, just like Nico Mikula does. And I think that is something that is very welcomed on this team that's coached by Craig Berube. Yeah, he he also has the best post-game interviews of anybody on the team. His post-game interview Bruch? Friday night was incredible. And apparently, it was absolutely incredible. Who's the best post-game interview? No. Bruce Davich on Friday, Darren Pang asked him about the, the crowd chanting, Booch, booch, booch. And he said, oh, I can't hear it. <laughs> it was amazing. And apparently, was like, Joey, Joey said that, like, in the locker room, like, guys, apparently Perunovic did one of those um those those kid interviews for the Blues website, and the kid asked Perunovic, who is the uh, most personality in that locker room, and he said Buchnevich. Really? And you wouldn't <laughs> believe that because Buchnevich is, like, the most dry guy in front of people. It's, it's amazing. He, he's it. been a, a welcomed addition for this team for sure. Coming up in 15 minutes, did... Jordan Bennington regained his mojo last night. I think that's something that Alex is definitely interested in. His guy might be back. We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. But next, questions and answers, 65780 is your cover service text line here on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Error Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start out with this one from the 314. Hey guys, big weekend for the local hoop scene. Which win impressed you the most? So you've got St. Louis Slough um, with a big win over Iona. Mizzou had a, oh baby, a huge win over the weekend. Did Alabama just like put their backups in against Alabama and what did Illinois do over the weekend I don't think they've lost I'm not mistaken Curbelo turned the ball over again he's he's back huh no no, I haven't received any texts from Tanner so I didn't think he was back he's not back he had a setback actually (laughs) oh really yeah did he turn the ball over again so yeah nothing nothing from Illinois this weekend if you're looking at Mizzou versus SLU I mean I not saying this is any integration to what SLU did over the weekend, but beating one of the 25 best teams in the country, according to all of the rankings, it's a pretty good win for Mizzou. I didn't think they had that kind of win in them, to yeah. be totally honest yeah, Especially with you. because we've been, we as in everyone, has been poo-pooing on Conzo Martin. Like, that is the most impressive win out of any of this. Like, Mizzou looked like a team that wasn't going to get to 10 victories, and they just t- took down, what was it, number 15? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the most impressive victory. Props to SLU, but Mizzou takes the cake in there. Guys, this is unbelievable. So the new AP rankings just came out. Is Mizzou top 25? No, no, no. Okay. (laughs) That would be blasphemy. (laughs) Alabama dropped down to 24. Illinois just re-entered the rankings at 25 behind Bama. And Bama just lost to Mizzou. What the hell? What is that? (laughs) Illinois is at 25? 25. They weren't even ranked last week. Why? The AP poll sucks. 
yeah, poles in general, whoa, not great, but the, that's well, that's absurd. Yeah, sometimes they are. Having them all the way down to 20, 25 is ridiculous. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, who do you like tonight between Alabama and Georgia? Who was the one that picked this game for our pick em? I think Tant. No. no. I stayed away from college football. No, you didn't. You took it because I went with two other oh, teams. No, no, and I that's lost. right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I took it. I took Saban. I took no, Alabama. You actually took Georgia. Minus, Did I really? Minus the three and a half. Oh, Does God. Alex have any recollection of this no. show on Friday? No, I don't because I don't remember taking that. And frankly, what are you I am putting your coffee in the I morning? am not happy with myself taking that because I, like I was Georgia. I was just thinking today, like, and everyone likes Georgia, but every time somebody picks against Saban, Saban just rubs their face in it like it's dog poo. So uh, we're in trouble on this. Shouldn't have gone that way. But at least I didn't go 0-2 like the no, 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 Pick'em Challenge I champion. 1-2. Thank you, Blues, for hitting the money line for me. You're uh, welcome. This is pr- I'm going to be out there a little bit here. I am going with Georgia. I think it's a blowout tonight. I, I think Georgia blows Alabama out of the water. I was not impressed with Bama in the semifinal against Cincinnati. And I just think that defense just had a one-off against Bryce Young. I think they make the adjustments, and I love Bryce Young. To me, this almost feels like when they took on Clemson beginning of the year. I think that's how this game's going to go. I, I think it may be a little bit lower scoring than people are thinking. I think I'll go Georgia if you want to score 30-10. to 10. That's my prediction. I think like 24-17, something like that. I, I do think they cover, though. The one thing that's holding me back is Nick Saban. I think Georgia's yeah. quite a bit better than Alabama, and I understand what happened the last t- time these two teams play. I just think that was a one-off. I'm with you, Tina, right? I, I don't think that was representative of how these teams actually are in terms of their quality. But Nick Saban has won six of the last seven times that he was an underdog. Six of seven Jeez. when he was an underdog. That includes this year against Georgia, where they won by 17. It includes 2015 when they were an underdog against Georgia, when they won 38 to 10. And then that's the only two times this decade that Bama has been an underdog. Think about that for a second. Alabama this decade has been an underdog twice, both against Georgia. This will be the third time tonight. They beat Alabama, beat Georgia each of the last two times that Georgia was favored and that it did so by at least 10 points in both of those games. So I'm going Georgia tonight. The only thing that holds me back is the fact that Nick Saban is on the other sideline. Has nothing to do with the players, has everything to do with the coaches. I hope you're right. And I really wish I wouldn't have picked Georgia in my pick them. What were you thinking? You had I to don't have, know. I don't have been thinking something on Friday. I think I said that because the point spread was what? Like minus three and a half. Three and a half. Yeah. So I was like, I think Georgia can pull it off. But the more I've now thought about it, I'm thinking I should not bet against Nick Saban. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll idea. get to some NFL quick hitters from the weekend that was. We officially have the playoff field set. Who do you not believe in from this playoff field? We'll get to that coming up in 15 minutes. But next, did Jordan Bennington officially regain his mojo last night? We'll discuss it and what it could mean for the Blues coming up here on BK and Ferrario. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yeah, a few breakdowns and give up some two-on-ones, and he, you know, just so calm back there, makes makes huge saves, gives us confidence, and, and gave us a chance to win that that game going into the third period. It, uh, you know, could have been a lot worse if it wasn't for him, and, and uh, you know, that's what he does. You know, he always gives us a chance to win, and it was nice we could actually squeak this one out for him. Say it with me, BK. Burning 10. Burning 10. Boo, so. 
I'll chant that with you. He had a great game against Washington. It's interesting that Alex is chanting the name of the guy that he didn't think should have started yeah. you on were Sunday. Well, you guys just Along listen to me. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I said ride the hot hand. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. That voice you heard coming back was Ryan O'Reilly on Jordan Bennington's performance in the game yesterday. And Alex, we got to give him his kudos because Jordan Bennington was really good in that one. And they had no chance to win if not for what he did the first 59 minutes of the game. He stopped 26 of the 27 shots that he faced, including 19 in the first period where the Blues had nothing going for them offensively. He was great. And coming off of the the game on Friday, I think it was an open-ended question as to who was going to start for the Blues on Sunday. Huso was great against Washington. He did everything they needed him to do. And at that point in time, you're coming off of Bennington with... A strong two periods against Pittsburgh and then a, a, a lackadaisical. A yeah, that's fair. Lackadaisical finish to that game. You've got the great performance out of Huso on Friday. Who do you go to on Sunday? I would have totally understood if they decided to go back to Huso and played the hot hand, as you said. I think this was a statement from Craig Berube when he went back to Jordan Bennington on Sunday against Dallas saying Bennington's our guy. And we trust Bennington to be our guy. And I understand Huso had a good performance on Friday night. We're not going to take any steps back with Bennington being in net because that's our number one. And I think he put himself behind Jordan Bennington on Sunday. Once again, he's done this repeatedly, but he did it again on Sunday. I think that's credit to Craig Berube for doing so. And it's a huge credit to Jordan Bennington for making good on his coach's promise. You know what he did? And I mean, props to Craig Berube. He eliminated the noise around his team by making that move. And he did the exact same thing with Vladimir Tarasenko. When the noise was going to start up at training camp, he spoke in front of everybody and said, look, he's a part of our team. We're not worried about it. He did this with Jordan Bennington because I was with you. I said on post game Friday night with curbs, how do you not go back to Ville Husso? Did everything. Barubi even said it in the post game. All he does is win. Yep. But what Barubi did, and I wasn't in the coaches' meetings, but I would imagine he, along with Mike Van Ryan and Steve Ott and Jim Montgomery and uh, David Alexander, said, we need to make sure Bennington knows that we have full faith in him. And make sure that none of the conversation of, oh, man, he just went back-to-back with their backup goaltender. Is this a goaltender controversy? Now, he eliminated it. He put the confidence in Jordan Bennington and told him, you're our guy. Go out there and perform like we know you can. And his teammates had his back. I thought that was a very solid performance defensively with the exception of the second period. But I thought the Blues did a good job. And when you go right back to your goaltender, it's telling him, it's telling your backup, it's telling your fans, it's telling your team, this is our number one. You better start acting like it. Yeah, we got a text, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. By the way, it's 1212. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. This one comes from the 618. Guys, Jordan Bennington is, a, is not a great goalie yet, but he is a good goalie who is capable of great performances. I actually think there's some truth to that. Like, is Jordan Bennington a top five goalie in the league? I would say no. I I don't think he's been consistent enough to make that case right now. But can he have performances like that of a top five goalie? Absolutely. And last night you saw that. And I think that is one thing that actually does differentiate him a bit from some of his peers in that mid-tier goalie range. Binner is capable of those big-time performances in a way that some others just aren't. You're probably just never going to see certain guys go on the hot streak the way that Bennington has and can in the future. 
And that I, I do think that's why all of us hold on to some hope that he'll be able to regain that form. It doesn't have to be for four, five, six months at a time. But if he can get back to that level that he was at in 2019 for a month, that might be enough for you to win a Stanley Cup. You know, that that's all you really need from him. But yeah, I think he's a a a, a good goalie right now who has the opportunity at times to show performances in which he is great. I understand safe percentage, high danger scoring chances. Those advanced numbers don't show him as a top goaltender in the league. But I couldn't disagree more with that text. Surprise, surprise. Going back to that season when they won the Cup, there's only two goalies who have more wins than Jordan Bennington, and it's Connor Hellebuck and Andre Vasilevsky. And I'll stop you before you say it, BK. I know it's a team stat. All right, I'll say team stat. But here's the thing. It can be a team stat all you want, but your goaltender has to make the saves when you need him to make the saves so you can win that hockey game. And in terms of Bennington, if you go back to the 2019-2020 season, you know how many goalies have seen more shots than Jordan Bennington? Three. John Gibson, Andre Vasilevsky, and Connor Hellebuck. And here's what their save percentages look like. 918 for Hellebuck. 921 for Vasilevsky. I think we are all in agreement that Vasilevsky is the best goalie in the NHL. 907 for John Gibson and 911 for Jordan Bennington. To see over 3,500 shots or 3,300 shots on goal in three seasons and have only three goaltenders that have seen more than you and have the second best save percentage out of those goalies, you you cannot come to me and say that he's an average goaltender because the numbers show that he is not an average goaltender. But... A lot of that just goes back to what he did in 2019, and we all understand that he was special that season. No, this is after that season. This is the 2019-2020 season up until this season. In save percentage. Wins, you got to go back to the cup, but I'm talking save percentage. There's only three guys that have seen more shots since that year after they won the cup. A lot of that has to do with starts and stuff, but it, yeah, he's been good. He's been quite good at, at times, but... Over the last couple of years, and that includes what we've seen so far this year, there have been too many moments in which I I don't feel like we can say he's been great at at all to to put him in that same category with some of the guys that you would have to if you're saying he's a top five goalie. You're telling me that you'd rather have Connor Hellebuck on your team than Jordan Bennington? Based on what he's produced the last three seasons, but what have they produced? But what have they produced in terms of credentials? I mean, they've been what's bounced Bennington in the produced? playoffs or missed the playoffs. I, I understand Bennington won a cup, but what's he done since? Bounced but what do you playoffs, mean? What has he done since? He won a cup. Connor Hellebuck's never won a cup. But he was he was unbelievably hot at that time. Since then, he's been average. okay. But look at the circumstances, though. Bubble play and then a shortened season. But I get it. Gonna, but every goalie did that. Yeah. If we're gonna go through that, then but the credentials still aren't there, though. The 2018-19 season's still there, and Bennington was the one that accomplished it. I know, and this is the thing that's really hard with having any conversation about Bennington is because it always goes back to 2019, and I, and I understand the explanation. Like he he won a Stanley Cup, and I'm not trying to take that away from him, but. We're now three years removed from that. And so I'm talking about over the last three years, you look at his statistics in that time, and he's basically been the same guy every year. 91% save percentage, which is solid. It's good, but it's not top five good. And I, we're, we're basically like, if you're having an NFL conversation about the top quarterbacks in the league, right? Uh, there are certain guys that are capable of having special games. He's kind of in that Matt Stafford conversation for me, where it's like, and I understand the history is different because Stafford has not won a Super Bowl 
and Bennington has won a Stanley Cup. Would you say he was in the Joe Flacco conversation when Flacco was in his prime? Because no, Flacco had Fla- a cup. Or I, I, a I don't think Flacco was ever as good. It, it's hard because it's hard to come up with a perfect comp for Bennington because of the way that he came into the league and took it all by storm. But Stafford is special in terms of the talent that he has, and everybody can see that on a consistent basis. And so there are certain games where you leave and you're like, man, Stafford could be the MVP of the league. Like you left the first month of the season. You're like, that, that guy might be the favorite to win the MVP. And then down the stretch, like, man, there's just kind of some weird moments where he does. He doesn't look right. And that's kind of been the case for Jordan Bennington over the last three years or so. I, I'm not saying this as they can't win a cup with Bennington. I think they absolutely can. They have. They did it in 2019. But. I, I can't say that he's a top five goalie right now when a week ago we were talking about, do you go back to Ville Husso over him? Our confidence in him had cratered this season to the point where we were talking about, Alex, you were talking about Gillies and uh, Chucky Sideburns and Tanner's talking about Husso and we've got all of these different options and we were intrigued by any of them as a starting goalie option because compared to Bennington, they were better. So after after one solid performance, it's just really hard for me to sit here today and be like, yeah, Bennington is back and he's a top five goalie in the league. Jordan Bennington's really good. He has moments where he looks great like he did yesterday. I'm not willing to put him in that top five conversation after one really, really great performance. Well, look, it's hard to put him in the top five conversations. I mean, the numbers still stand there this season. It's now 16 of 21 games that he's given up three or more goals. Like, I mean, you cannot deny those. Top five, probably you're right. Maybe he's not a top five goaltender, but the people who say he's average, meaning he is middle of the pack, 15th, 16th, 17th overall goalie, I mean, you're just flat out wrong. He's a top 10 goaltender, regardless of the struggles he goes through, because again, I'll go back to it. The numbers may not look great, but you always have to have a goalie who can make the saves when you need him to look at what he did against Pittsburgh when the team wasn't playing well. Look at what he just did against the Dallas Stars. Those are the games that you look at and you say he's not an average goaltender because an average goaltender is going to play average on a consistent basis. I guess. I mean, I just over the last three years, you look at what his save percentage is, and it, it's not with the guys that we're talking about as top five goalies. Like he, he has the same save percentage over the last three years as Jake Allen, and um, I, I, I don't view him in that same light. I, I, I think there are a lot of other guys around the league right now that you would take over him if you if you had the option to swap them out right now, one for one, for getting the salaries or anything like that. I, I think if if we're being honest with ourselves, there's probably five to ten that you would you would do without much of a question in your mind and, and i don't think there's there's no stat for this and you, you guys can correct me if i'm wrong and maybe it's just seeing the blues like we do where we cover the blues it just feels like he also has that moment where he seems to give up that one big goal too often and i feel like that, i mean we talked about the penguins game for example things are on the verge of collapse or they were collapsing and then he gives up that power play goal that they give up on the challenge and it's a goal that you and me agree, Alex, that he probably should save. Sliding across to his right, it's a one-timer, but he's there, he's in position, and it just beats him. So I feel like there are those moments, too, and maybe I'm wrong on that assessment, but I do feel like there are times where I look at it and go, man, that's just that one goal that we can't give up, and it just feels like it happens. And it's not always Bennington's fault, but it does feel like it happens more often than we'd like to uh, 
say. Yeah. I think the big thing for me is the numbers that I said in terms of the the shots in. I saw somebody text in that. I mean, look, I know I'm the one that's blamed all the time for making excuses for him, but I mean, you have to look at it. I mean, if the Blues are allowing that many shots on goal, the defense is struggling a little bit. Your goaltender is going to struggle there. But regardless of where it is, I mean, you're going this this is this is the conversation you're always going to have. Is he an average goaltender? Is he an above average goaltender? Is he an elite goaltender? at the end of the day, the playoffs are what determines that. And recency bias for Jordan Bennington has not been pretty. This year, if things continue to trend in the direction of normalcy, you're going to get a great evaluation because you don't have the excuse of the pandemic. You don't have the excuse of no fans in the building. And frankly, if Doug Armstrong's aggressive and goes makes a trade for a, for a defenseman, you don't have the argument of defense not playing well. 65780 is your comfort service tax line. Final thing here from the 314. Note it down now. Flip-flop BK will be kissing up to Biddington whenever they win the cup this year. If they do so, I of course will. Like, that's how this is. As we get more information, It'll of course my, my opinion on the matter will change. As of right now, based on the three years of evidence that we have in front of us, or two and a half, I guess, I, I would have him more towards the middle of the pack when it comes to where I would rank him among this is a, NHL goalies. This is a really good question. And, and both of you guys, maybe think about this. We could touch on it later. Maybe we do it on the BK and Ferrario Rewind. What does he have to do for you guys to change your opinion? Be consistent. Be consistently really good. Because he hasn't been that for two and a half years now. If he can be consistently really good, if he is at it consistently in the top five to ten in goal, goals. But we're talking two years that he hasn't. I mean, we're talking the last season and this season. What makes and the year this before. work? 2019-2020, he was one of the best goalies in the league. He, he Bubble play is what you're going off of. C- correct. I mean, the, the bubble was a disaster, but the, the whole thing was like, you could write that off. So that's and what I'm, I'm saying, I'm though. With that. You got two years. You got 18, 19, 19, 20, where he's been really good. And then you had last season and this season where he has not been consistent. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's a significant but, amount of time. But I think what makes it, and not only is that a significant amount of time, but what it also makes us very concerning is the fact that you gave him a big extension. Well, you locked that, him up. That, you, you, that's, you, the thing, that's the thing, too, that you have to look at. But you locked up a player before. Years. I mean, you did the same thing with Colton Pareko. Like you locked him up in hopes that he continues the, the trend. Because if he turns into an, a Vasilevsky, you're paying nine million dollars for him. It, let, let's get back into this at the end of the show today. Whenever we get back to our BK and Ferrario rewind, because I do think it's an interesting question that you ask there. Like, what what do we need to see? It. I said I, I need to see him be consistently really good. We'll talk about what that looks like coming up at the end of the show today. Coming up next, so let's get into some NFL quick hitters, including which of the teams that was able to sneak their way into the playoffs yesterday has the best chance to actually go on a run in the postseason. We'll tell you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Time to get into some NFL quick hitters coming off of the final week of the regular season. Let's start with this one, Alex. Among the teams that were able to back into the playoffs at the end of this one, which one do you think has the best chance to actually make noise in the postseason? The Steelers? The Raiders, the 49ers, or the Eagles? Among those four, which one do you think is most likely to actually make some noise and make it to the second round at a minimum? Can I of say the none of them? Nope. This is one of those okay, more I'm likely going to Eagles. happen things. You got to water those roots. Water there those weeds. 
Um, I think the obvious choice here is San Francisco for how they played down the stretch. Uh, my cousin, who is a huge Rams fan, I was watching this with him last night, and he was visibly frustrated because he knew that the Rams were going to have to see San Francisco again in the playoffs because of the outcome of that game. But honestly, I, I, maybe I'm crazy. I'm starting to believe in Pittsburgh a little bit. <laughs> I know. Why? I Based on what? Based on their last three weeks? I mean, I don't know why, but their defense, for some reason, is starting to make some noise. That AFC is In a that nightmare. Span, they gave up 36 to the Chiefs, and the Chiefs well, pulled their starters. <laughs> they went up against the horrible Browns, the backup quarterback-led Ravens. And now we're believing in them? I don't know, man. I absolutely hate watching the Steelers. I would much rather watch paint dry. Oh, they're yesterday, such a hot team to me. It, as a Chiefs fan, I loved what happened yesterday. Well, I bet Best you did. case they scenario. Kill them. As a football fan, yesterday was awful for what we want to see in the AFC playoffs. Yeah. Because the Raiders and the Steelers are just not as much fun to watch, aesthetically uh, speaking, as the Colts and the Chargers. Those teams would have been so much more fun to be able to watch in the postseason. You're really going. The Steelers know. are your team, huh? It's not. No, they're not my team. As believe a twelve me. and a half point road underdog in Kansas hey, City. I'm no, and that's the for Pittsburgh and that's on the, Saturday. That's Sunday. the other reason why I know they're not going anywhere. But man, for some reason that defense with T.J. Watt is just—I don't know. Like it's—it's it's lit a fire underneath me. But no, I mean the obvious choice here is San Francisco because there you go. They're not. I mean, look, they're not going to get past when they do. They match up with Green. They don't match up with Green Bay in the first round, right? No, they get uh, Dallas. Dallas. They get Dallas round. in the first round. I can see them taking down Dallas, but whether they beat Tampa or Green Bay, I don't see them getting past that. Can I go with the Eagles? I actually agree with what you said at first, Alex. Good lord, no, I was joking on that. I, remember what happened to the Bucks last year when they played against Washington in the first round? They barely won. The Eagles are very similar in the way they are built to the way that Washington football team was built. And that's not to suggest they're good, but they do the things that frustrate Tom Brady pretty darn well. They've got a really good defensive line that rushes the passer quickly. They've got a pretty darn good offensive line that might actually be able to create some holes against a really good Tampa Bay run defense. And they might be able to run a little bit. And then Jalen Hurts, if he's just able to bleed the clock with his ability to run as well, I do think they've got a real chance to not just make this game close against Tampa. Guys, I'm putting Tampa on upset watch. I actually think Philly has a real chance to be able to win this game. Even though I think Tampa Bay is a better football team, the injuries in their receiving core and the fact that the Eagles might match up well with them. I think I would go with Philly. The only way I go with Philly is if I know Minshew's starting. I'm not going to back Jalen Hurts. Whoa, we got a Hurts hater. In our midst. I think Hurts is part of what makes them an intriguing team to play. Yeah, maybe as a wildcat option like Mariota, not as an actual starting quarterback for him. I'm just, I I don't think he gives them their best chance to win in this situation. I don't see Jalen Hurts being effective against Tampa. Played him well earlier this year, 28 22. I I could see it happening. I think San Francisco is the team for me. I I just think they match up so well with Dallas. And that defense last, I watched that game against the Rams yesterday. That defensive line just all of a sudden clicked at halftime. They were getting pressure in the face of Stafford the whole second half. They play like that. They can stop the run fairly well. They should be able to get to Dak in the pocket. Offensively, Jimmy G did not look bad yesterday. He looked bad in the first half, don't get me wrong. But that second half he came out, I think he adjusted to dealing with the torn ligament in the thumb. He was, I'll be honest, he was solid yesterday. He looked like a franchise quarterback in that second half, driving them down the field. 
I could easily see them taking down Dallas. And honestly, I could see them being a nightmare for whoever they get in the second round. So I'm going to put San Francisco not only an upset watch, conference championship watch. Ooh, How about I that? like that. Oh. I like that a lot. All right. Next thing up here. What the heck are we supposed to do with the Colts? <sighs> 26 to 11 against the Jags with a playoff spot on the line. The team that had the number one overall pick. That's the team you lose to to try to Lawrence. get into the postseason. What am I supposed to do with this Colts team? And how do they move forward from this with Carson Wentz as their starter after they just lost back-to-back weeks with a chance to get into the playoffs? I really don't know how to read that game either. I mean, they got destroyed. How many, how many times did Wentz throw the ball? Mean. He had to throw it a lot. Yeah, he had a very big turnover rate yesterday. That's what I'm yeah. talking about. Like, why, why did they just keep 29. going back to him? Well, Taylor he, did nothing. Taylor did nothing. He, he got stuffed at the goal line multiple times in that one. Yeah, he had 15 I, carries for 75 yards. He did nothing in that game. I mean, I don't know how to read them because, like, you can't rebuild when you have a Jonathan Taylor on your team. You can't rebuild when you have one of the better offensive lines in the AFC, but. Like, I don't know, like their weak spot obviously is on defense because they couldn't find a way, but then you look it off. I mean, maybe they need another weapon. Maybe they need another weapon for their quarterback. Maybe they need a high level talent at wide receiver. Other than that, I don't know where you go. I think if you're the Colts, your best bet, and I don't think the offensive line is that great. At least they didn't look great uh, yesterday, but I, if I'm the Colts, I look for another top end wide out because I think their whole goal was to have uh, was Pittman. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Pittman and uh, Hilton. But Hilton's Hilton was hurt half the season. Yeah. Exactly. And he always is. Yeah. yeah. So you got to get another wide out. And then to me, if you're the Colts, you have to win with your defense. You, you basically have to put Wentz on the back of the defense because he's not good enough to you need a tight end win too. a championship. And I get it. He was MVP caliber when he was with Philadelphia. They need a quarterback, boys. That's yeah, what they I'm need. They got a Super Bowl <laughs> champion quarterback. I know they need a quarterback, but I just don't know where they're getting one. I don't know if they can trade Hurt or not Hurts, uh, Wentz. That's you my whole trade thing. Him. You ain't getting anything. You might get a couple of footballs for him. We could use those. I mean, what what is there? So they traded their first round pick this upcoming season. Too, they gave up like I thought I read somewhere they gave up like 103 million dollars in cap to pick him up. He's so Yikes. he's accounting for 21 million dollars against the cap this year. 28 million dollars next year. They could cut him and save 13 million though. I or trade him and save that. I I think they might have to figure something out at the quarterback position this offseason. Who are I mean, you going to go get? I don't know. There's nobody out I'm there. Se- I, I don't know. I think they would be better off with Teddy Bridgewater. I, I don't think Teddy's any worse, and I think he makes better decisions than Carson Wentz does. So if you can go out there and get Teddy out a little bit of experience and competition to your quarterback room, I think that's your best chance to be able need, to win next year. They need the red rifle experience. No, they need it's to time go, for Andy Dalton. They need it's to go all the same. Gardner Minshew. They're, they're all the same. Uh, Gardner would be fine as well. Find one of those you know types of would, guys. You know a top in backup. In Indy, if you wanted, uh, you couldn't give up wins for him, but it would be the Baltimore backup. Huntley. I was Huntley. about to say the same thing. That Like somebody in that vein, that's probably the 28th to 30th best quarterback in the league, somewhere around there. You can build an offense around the run. like Before I go that route, though, you need another weapon. Like, yeah, get, do both. Get Wentz another weapon and see if he can do something with it. And then from there, then you can make that decision. But, I mean, Pittman's your best guy. That's it. You don't have anything else other than Taylor. Last thing as we go around the NFL. Did any of these teams over the weekend give you concerns with their performances? 
the Chiefs, Titans, Patriots, or Cardinals? Did any of those four teams give you concerns with their performances over this last weekend? Chiefs, Patriots, Titans, or the Cardinals? Chiefs didn't. Titans didn't. It it really comes down to the Patriots and Cardinals. And I think I'm just going to side more on the Cardinals side of things. Just on the defense. I mean, I told you guys all season long, like their defense is the reason I was believing in Arizona. And that has kind of crumbled over these last, what is it, four or five weeks now? I don't know what their numbers are. But on top of that, not having uh, Hopkins, I I think I would say Cardinals are the one that I would be concerned with. Because after watching the Rams and Niners game, I don't see how the Cardinals can get past the first round. Yeah, I think I'd go Cardinals. New England, it's kind of what I expected. You know, they're kind of that 10 or what do we got to be, 10 and 7 now. That team Mm -hmm. that's going to be kind of middle of the pack that could win in the first but get knocked out in the second. I had high expectations for this Cardinals team, especially after the start they got off to. Give up 38, and I get it. The Seahawks still have Russell Wilson, but you give up 38 to that team. I, I'm sorry. I can't buy into it. They've struggled the last couple of weeks, so I'm out on the Cardinals. I'm out on the Patriots. I'm done. Done. They, wow. they're, and five weeks ago, we were all on board. They have crumbled. Yeah. The last four weeks, they lost to the Colts, lost to the Bills, lost to the Dolphins, and had a big win. Congratulations against a horrible Jaguars team who the Colts hey. couldn't beat. Yeah, Colts suck. How about this? Jags beat Buffalo and Indy. After that game that I said we learned nothing about either the Bills or the Patriots because it was in that horrible, horrible weather. The Patriots threw like two passes in that game. They won 14-10. They lost three of their next four, and the only win was against Jacksonville. I'm done with them. I I can't believe in that team as a legitimate playoff threat. I think they're going to get worked on Saturday against the Bills. I think that's a double-digit win for Buffalo in Buffalo. I don't know how the Patriots are going to be able to keep up with that offense. So I'm going to take the Bills 31 to 17, something like that against the Patriots on Saturday. That's the team that I I feel the worst about, not just coming off of this weekend, but also in addition to their last weekend. The, the other team that we didn't mention that I, I'm out on the Rams. I'm a Ram fan. I'm done. <laughs> Stafford, you're out on the Rams? Stafford, Stafford's like a turnover machine. He gives them out like Oprah gives out cars. Did you hear his quote after the game? <laughs> Yeah, he said uh, it was hard for us to be able to hear anything while we were on offense. They were in Los Angeles, boys. <laughs> they were playing in their own it's stadium. Not like that should be a surprise either. No, it, it's like the sixth time this year they've had to go to the silent count at home. It's brutal, man. They they do not have a home field advantage. In fact, they're probably better off. Uh, on the road in the postseason. So <laughs> dang it, we gotta host the Cardinals. Yeah, not great. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll dive into the junk drawer in about 15 minutes or so. But next, earlier today, ESPN.com put out their list of the top 10 relievers and starters in Major League Baseball. Can the Cardinals win if they don't have a player listed on either of those two lists this year? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So every offseason, especially when there's a normal offseason in baseball, there's all these lists that come out right among the top 10 players at their respective positions. Well, ESPN starting to put those out now and Buster only was the author on this one. He put out the list of the top 10 starters and relievers in Major League Baseball as of today. And Alex, the Cardinals did not have a single player listed on either of those two lists, top 10 starters or top 10 relievers. 
They did have a couple of honorable mention players. Adam Wainwright was listed among the honorable mention starters, and they had Giovanni Gallegos listed as one of the honorable mention relievers. The reason I wanted to bring this up today is because as I looked up and down this list, you saw a lot of the other competitors in the National League with a player, maybe multiple players on the list. The Mets had two starters listed among the top 10. The Brewers had two. The Phillies have one. The Dodgers and Braves both had one starting pitcher among the top 10. And then among the relievers, you had the Brewers with two, the Dodgers had one, and the Mets had one. Guys, do you think that the Cardinals in 2022 can win a World Series if at the end of this upcoming season, we all agree that they don't have anybody that deserves to be on this list? Or would it require, whether it be Wayno or Mats or Flaherty or Gallegos, whoever it ends up being among their starting or, starting or relief pitchers, are they going to need to have somebody force their way onto this list by the end of the year for them to reach that kind of a peak? Well, you absolutely have to, especially looking at this list where there's seven of the top 10 starters are all in the National League. Like, if you don't have a top 10 starter, I don't know if you're going to make it out of the NL to get to a World Series without one of those guys. And I think the Cardinals have a group of pitchers that can dominate. But the problem is when you look at the Mets, the Brewers, Dodgers as well, even if they only have one or in the Mets and Brewers cases, they have two. The next tier of guys that they have, they may not be top 10 starters, but they're still really good starting pitchers. Like I'm thinking of the Mets right now, like I'm assuming DeGrom and Scherzer are on this list yep. for the Mets. And if Marcus Stroman goes back to New York, which I mean, that's kind of up in the air right now. I mean, I would still consider that to be, well, be in Chicago. Oh, he officially signed. Oh. I'm completely confused on that one. It's I mean, been such could, a long he could time. Be traded. I guess he could go back to the New York Mets, but what I mean, what I mean by this is like if you have these guys on that top ten, still the next tier down. It's not like they just get awful. And I think if the Cardinals want to contend in the NL, you're going to have to have one guy in this top ten in either category. Yeah, I, I think the Cardinals need to have a top ten reliever and starter to get out of the National League. Both. Yeah, I, I think oh, you need both. both because you have to have that one guy that you fear coming out of your pin that can lock things down. And on this list, he's an honorable mention, Giovanni Gallegos. I think he can be a top 10 reliever. I, I think he can get to that level this year. The starting one is where I question it because I know Adam Wainwright's on this list, but his age is a thing that I'm always going to have a big question mark. And can he repeat it again this year, throwing 200 innings or close to that, 190-something to that effect this season like he did last year? And then the big one is Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty has to be that guy for me that becomes that top 10 starting pitcher viewed in major, across the board in Major League Baseball because he's that guy that you rely on to be your workhorse. When he went out with the injury, that's when the season started to kind of derail, and it piled on from there for the St. Louis Cardinals. If he can't get back to being healthy and he can't be a top-10 starter, I I don't think this team is a team that you could look at as a World Series contender. I think part of that that ties into that, too, is I just don't know if the offense would be able to support a pitching staff that doesn't have a top-10 starter in my mind. Man, I'm totally with you on Flaherty. I, I think he's the guy. Like it, It really does come down to the ceiling of this team is dependent upon Jack Flaherty being the guy that we saw early in the season. And God, was he good. When he was healthy, he was exactly what we all wanted to see out of him. So his first uh, nine starts of the season last year, he pitched 53 innings with a 2.5 ERA. He had struck out 55 and walked 17. He was awesome. It was exactly what we all thought Jack Flaherty could be at his peak. And then he got hurt. And he wasn't the same guy whenever he returned and he finished the year with a 3.3 ERA as opposed to the 2.5 ERA he had whenever he went down with the injury. I, if he can be that guy 
going into next season, you're good. And you've got a top to a legit top 10 starting pitcher. I think Gallegos, like even right now, if I was doing this list, I might have him among my top 10 relievers. I think there's at least an argument to be made there. I'm just curious. I know the Brewers, but who are the Dodgers and Mets guys? In terms of the, the relievers? Top relievers. Dodgers got Trinan. Mm, they've got Trinan on the list, and the Mets have Diaz. Diaz Edwin Diaz. He's, he's really 10th good. on the list, and he's he's a really good player as well. So, I think I would have Gallegos in the same conversation, though, as those two. He just hasn't been the closer for the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, I I understand the argument in favor of them. I I would... I think if you're if you're not having Gallegos in the top ten, he's he's right on the outside looking in. And the same thing is true. Like if the Cardinals were to make that trade for Craig Kimbrell, for example, and he ended up being a Cardinal, and you get into the season, he's in his normal role as the closer as opposed to being a setup man. I think Craig Kimbrell could easily make his way onto this list as well if he had another dominant season. So they they've got some options potentially. I I do think that you need to have. I think you probably need a starter and a reliever in the top 10 of their respective positions for you to be able to legitimately compete for a World Series, given the way that the Cardinals are constructed. They're just not going to have the same type of lineup as some of the other top end contenders. Yeah, I don't think it's as necessary in the ro- in the bullpen. I-, I think you can you can be strong as a committee in that bullpen. I just think you got to have a starter in that conversation. If you don't have a legit clear cut number one, I just don't know how you're going to thrive in a playoff series in three games or five games. See, that's interesting to me because I would say I'd almost, you almost need the reliever more than the starter just because the way the postseason is played now where it's mostly bullpen games and going to relievers. In fact, you probably yeah, but sometimes two. you put a starter in the bullpen and that becomes the guy for you. I get it, but I just view the I just view the bullpen as more of the bigger factor in a postseason. Because I get it, Jack Flair can be such a down a pitcher, he could give you six in a uh postseason game, but because more is on the line and more at stake, what do you normally get out of a starter? You're lucky if he goes through the lineup twice. That's why I view it as you need that bullpen guy. And honestly, you probably need two. And I was going to reference, you know, look at the Braves. Braves have one guy in this top starting list. They don't have bullpen arms on here, but they had an electric bullpen last year that kind of combined together as a group. That's the other thing. I think you need one of two things for the bullpen side. Because you definitely need to trust the back end of your bullpen to hold up. You need that shutdown guy. But see, that's where I I don't necessarily agree completely. I think you either need that shutdown guy that you can go to that is just flat out nails or... You need to have like six of them. Yeah, you have like five I, I guys. Think you, I, I don't think there's any in between because that's what the Braves did. The Braves didn't necessarily have one guy that's like, damn, that guy is dynamite. But they had like six different dudes that would come into the game and you're like, I, I don't know how you hit off of these guys. All of them are really solid. And the Cardinals, I think, by the end of last season had started to develop that identity of we went into the postseason. It was almost the entire bullpen was part of our circle of trust because you're like, I, I kind of feel good about all of these guys going into the into the game. And that's what they've got to have. It's got to be one or the other, either Gallegos. And if they make the move for Kimbrell and maybe it's Jordan Hicks or Helsley, whoever it might be, Cabrera, those guys need to be like, if not top 10 relievers, borderline top 10 relievers, top 15 to 20. Or you could have five different guys that create a dynamic lockdown bullpen any night of the postseason. It's got to be one of those two in my mind. See, I still think you need just, I think you need, like you said, that combination of the six guys that you trust basically like we had at the end of the year. But to me, you have to have that one guy that you view as a top 10 reliever as the closer more or less because I want that guy that if I get in a tight jam in the playoffs in like the eighth inning and I got to turn to my closer for five outs, I know I can turn to him and I'm going to have that electric arm that's going to get those guys out. And like I said, that's where I think Giovanni Gallegos can become that guy because he's sitting on the outside, t- the top 10, according to Buster Olney in his list. 
I, I would agree with Olney's assessment. I think he can get into the top 10, though. I, I just think his stuff is that good. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In about 10 minutes or so, there is one question that I still have about the Blues forwards, and it pertains to two players that we've seen produce at a high level here in St. Louis. What do they need to do to get those guys going? We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. But next, time to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. You guys know I, I love me some tacos. It's probably my favorite food. Like if I could have one thing for the rest of my life, it would be Mexican food. But specifically, if I've got to cater it down into one thing, it would be tacos. I might have tacos for dinner tomorrow. The reason I bring this up is because there's a new monthly subscription that is available that I think you guys might be of interest. Monthly subscription for tacos? That's mm-hmm. like taco in a box. Taco Bell is oh. rolling out a new monthly subscription. It is $10 a month. And with this subscription service, you could get one taco per day for the entire month. So you get 30 tacos available to you over the course of the month. This is actually something that I would legitimately give consideration Wait, to. Only one taco a day? No way. Why? Taco Bell tacos are small. You man. know how long you're going to have to wait just to go get one taco? Like five minutes? What no do you way. mean? Taco Bell is fast. Taco Bell's gourmet? I don't, know. Know. I don't think so. Sometimes those drive throughs aren't worth it. I drove well, back. I give Taco Bell credit pretty quick. No, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're not. And you're just going to go to a drive thru and get one taco? That's the thing for me. You're just going to go just get one. one taco. Absolutely. It's a trap. On your way home from work? T- that's of like, all e- people, that's like Tanner, eating. Of all people. That's like eating. You would r- absolutely, on your way home from work, go that, grab a taco from Taco that's Bell. That's like eating rice for dinner. I'm going to be hungry in 15 well, that's minutes. That's a good call, though. Well, it's a snack. You wouldn't eat it as like a meal. Well, what do you go to the drive-thru for? Get a snack? I'd get a taco, and I'd be like, man, that was really good. You know what I need? Another taco. Alex is acting like Taco Bell drive-thru has taken an hour and a half to get through. And what happens (laughs) happens if 15 out of the 30 days you just don't want a taco? Then you don't get one. So you pay $10 a month to get 15 tacos? Yeah. Yeah. You're still coming out ahead. I have to imagine. It was only $10 a month? Yes. (laughs) That actually sounds like a good deal. I'm out on that. If if it was like... If you if you like could like thirty three cents a taco, if you could spread the wealth, like if I could each get tacos a dollar twenty. If I'm t- if I'm eating fifteen tacos in a month, I'm coming out ahead, baby. This is great. If I could if I could do it where I get like three in one day and then I don't get it for two other days, I might be in on that. Like that if I'm I going to support. Taco Bell, I want to get bulk. That I, I don't want to get one. If I could get like oh, thirty thanks tacos, for my, thanks for my Mexi Melt Taco Bell. Now I'm going to drive I away. It, I think it's just the regular tacos. That's I think it's just the crunchy worse. tacos. There's so many better. <laughs> I don't ones even think you get the crunchy tacos. Do you get like the Do you get the 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 Cool Ranch, the Nacho Cheese Tacos? No, this you literally just get a hard shell taco. That's correct. It's like making tacos at home. So I can I'm going to go sit in a drive through and get a hard shell taco and then just leave yep so they tested this program back in 2021 in tucson it was just in one place uh they were checking out five dollars and ten dollars in terms of what the monthly subscription fee should be uh and the answer is the ten dollars by the way i have new information i apologize alex it looks like you can get 
the other tacos. The oh, Doritos Locos oh, okay. Taco Supreme was the most redeemed taco. Okay, well, at least I'm Those starting like to. Con- bucks. I'm starting to consider this, but I'm still not going to wait in a drive-thru for one taco. I'm convinced that you went to a closed taco. No, I'm telling you guys. How Every many time times I've been do, to a taco, how many times do you fast. pull up to a fast food place and you just pull up, order, and drive through and get your taco in less than five minutes? Almost every, every time. time. Never, never. Almost never. Every time you are I've lying. There is no way you go to a fast food place. I went and got McDonald's the other day, and it took me 30 minutes to get a no, sandwich. McDonald's is different, though. I think McDonald's is usually The busy. only place that takes me a while sometimes down the street from us is Andy's. Andy's ice cream. And no. that's just because they're always busy. Everywhere. Everywhere. There's one by me. Yeah. There's no possible way you guys just pull up to a fast food place and get it. Yeah. Every time no that way. I ever I'm trying to think to the last food. I think the last fast food place I had was Dairy Queen. That was like two Raisin weeks ago. Raisin Cane's gets a little really busy quick. sometimes, but yeah. they're so quick. Chick-fil-A's they'll get you in and always out. busy too. And but they're, they're, they're fast. They'll get you in and out I'm as just well. Just saying. They're, they're fast. Don't get me wrong. Fast meaning like I can get my food in 15 minutes. It's quite literally called fast food. In 15 minutes. I'm not going to go wait 15 minutes for one taco. I'm telling you, you went to a closed taco. I'm telling you. You could just go inside. You yeah. just walk inside. That's that's the one thing. You'd have to wear, put your headphones. I had to go to that's probably that's that's it too. I had to go to an eye doctor appointment the other day, and there was a Starbucks in the same plaza. There was a line wrapped around the building for the Starbucks. I'm like, what? Can you just walk in and get it? Yeah, that's true. Starbucks can be a little bit slow, but still, it's- that that is the one that like. It takes a See, while. We are getting so but many that people. that makes sense because a lot of people go in, so they're just kind of balancing you, Every it out. Taco Bell has at least six cars every time. No way it's less than five minutes. Lake St. Louis Taco Bell line is always in the street. I'm telling you guys, I have never gone to a fast food place yeah. and pulled up, Alex. ordered, pulled up to the window, got it, and left. Alex, never. who lives in BFEs, is always going to the Lake St. Louis Taco Bell. That's the one that you're attending oh, all the time. Of course, huh? I do the Jefferson Cowans, <laughs> and those take even longer. I did, surely you're doing something wrong. I'm not doing something wrong. Don't call me because Shirley. Because I've never been to a Taco Bell and it's taken more I than like five minutes. I can't believe how many people are agreeing I, with Alex You on guys this are take. insane thinking that you can just pull up, order, pull up, get the food and leave. Yeah, I have never had that. I'm telling you, I went, and this isn't Taco Bell, but I went to a Dairy Queen literally down the road from me two weeks ago. I basically pulled in, ordered, got to the window, paid, got the food and never. left. It, it was never. easy. You might have gone to a closed one. What's what? your go-to order? If you could get one thing at Taco, Taco Bell, Bell? They, they say you can just have any one oh. thing off of the menu, but that's it. Man, they brought those those Mexican pizzas back. Those are pretty good. Mine has always been, and I don't even know if they sell them anymore, the Mexi Melts. Yeah. That was always like the goat for me. I don't think they do. I don't think I they do either, but I used to pull up and like, again, bulk. I'd get like five or six of them. It's like I, the Crave case of Taco Bell. I'd go there, uh, chicken and Chipotle melts. That's my number one thing. And that's like a snack. Thing. Seven layer burrito. Burrito. That's that's the go-to. That's a, that's a lot of beans. Yeah, man. <laughs> Alex well, knew immediately that's not going to go up for me. No, I stay away from beans. Mine's literally Mexico. Just put the cheese and the meat in there. And that's it. I, that's all I want. Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, is the air comfort service tax line. In 15 minutes, we'll get to a game of in or out. But next, what's going on with these two players for the Blues? How do the Blues get them going and... Do they need to? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The Blues are on a bit of a hot streak right now. They had a huge win yesterday against Dallas. A one 
it, it was one of those that Alex texted us afterwards and said, remember that win, boys, because of how significant it felt in the moment. On Friday night, we were all at the game. Well, me and Alex were, and they beat the Capitals five to one. They've won four out of their last five, and they are dominating right now at home. All of that is the positive, Alex. Unfortunately, there are other things that we do need to continue talking about, including what's going on right now with Braden Shin and David Perron, because both of them just feel kind of out of sorts. Being at the game on Friday, uh, there, there was a guy behind me in the stands. We were way up in the nosebleeds. And he had, I think it was probably his first or second Blues game that he had ever, ever attended. He said he adopted the Blues after the game. Um, he said, who's 10? Get that guy off of the ice. He didn't know anything about hockey. Let's put that out on the front end. But it was it was pretty noticeable that it di- it just didn't look like Shin was himself. And a lot of this might just come down to him not being healthy, Alex. And I want to say that on the front end as well. But between him and David Perron, they're just not producing the way that you would expect them to. And it's gone under the radar a bit because of the contributions that this team is getting from Pavel Buchnevich and Jordan Cairo and Vladimir Tarasenko. You, you don't need Shin and Perron to be at the same level that they previously were. But what are you seeing with those guys? What, what's what gone wrong of late? Well, and it's it's interesting we're talking about this because, I mean, look, Braden Shen's first game back, he scores a goal for him, So it's but it's the production just doesn't seem to be there. I think the biggest thing that stuck out to me is they just look slow on the ice. They just look out of sorts. Like David Perron, and he just looks like he's battling it personally. Every time he's on the boards with the puck on his stick and he bobbles it or it goes through the legs or it bounces off of his stick, it's just... The plays aren't there, and I was watching him yesterday on the power play, and I mean, he was set up in the perfect spot that he usually is, but it just seems out of sort. And maybe it's the chemistry because he missed so much time. And the same with Braden Shen. Braden Shen, I get a little bit of the the exception to because I know what he's going through right now, and I mean, that is not an easy thing to play through. But And David Perron, I mean, David Perron, if that was a concussion, I mean, that's not an easy thing to come back from as well. Some of this with these two guys just seems to be the time that they were out and trying to get back that chemistry on the ice. But more than anything, man, they just look out of sorts. They usually are guys that look to be in the right place at the right time. They're guys that seem to always have the puck on their stick and coming away with shots. And with both of them, it seems like they're either missing the net. It seems like it's going high or it seems like it's going right in the chest pad of the goaltender, which to me just seems like they're battling against it right now. That on top of the fact that, they just look a little bit slower than what they usually do. Those are the two things that stick out to me with Perron and Braden Shen. Yeah, it, it's weird. And I do wonder when this is going to start becoming a conversation that is more than just, hey, what's going on with David Perron and Braden Shen? Because they, they're able to make up for it right now with all of the other guys that are producing at the level that they are. But it has been a little strange to see the lines that Perron and Shin are on, not, not quite clicking the way that they normally would. Like that Perron sunny sod line, I think they're going to have to reconfigure that in some way. Which is weird because that Capitals game, they were actually a really good line. Sonny picks up a goal on that one, but it just seems to be the wingers are the ones that you're... And Brandon Sod's an interesting one too. I mean, the guy's got plenty of goals, but... You're just not seeing him as effective as he was at the beginning of the season. I think Saad's been fine for the most part. This is kind of what we expected out of him was, I mean, he has 12 goals on the season. So you're getting that goal production, but he needs to be on a line where somebody else sets him up because he's not a playmaker for others. And when you're with guys, this is the conversation that we had last year when Robert Thomas was with 
line mates who it was like, okay, they're fine, but they're not probably going to be able to take advantage of Thomas's skills the way that a Jordan Cairo, for example, or a Vladimir Tarasenko can. And I think it's almost the opposite for Brandon Saad. He needs somebody else on his line to be able to set him up. And when he's out there with Sonny and Perron, there's just... The chemistry is not there between the three of them. So I'm curious to find out what they decide to do with that because between those three guys, I think you can move somebody off of it. And then I do think you can take Shin off of that line with Kairu and Thomas and reconfigure it with one of those other three, Perron, Sonny, or Saad, and see if that works a little better. Maybe you do put Saad, Thomas, and Kairu together, and then you go Shin, Sonny, and Perron. I know that's a very slow line with Shin, Sonny, and Perron, but... Maybe you get a little bit more physicality on that line, and that's their identity as a line. Yeah, part of me I, I don't would, know. I don't know the best way to construct them right now without Vladdy out there. Part of me would like to see Perano, Riley, and Buchnevich see what they can do, just because Buchnevich has a little bit of edge to him, and maybe you can get two puck possession guys. Um, maybe Sod with Thomas and Kairu. The one for me, and, and it goes back to Braden Chen. And Oscar Sundquist said this yesterday when when the media asked him about playing the center position. And he said, you know, you're just in the middle of it a lot more than what you are on the wing. He prefers to be the center position. I think that's what's missing from Braden Shen's game. I think Shen is a natural centerman, and he prefers to be the center position. Now, again, the injury that he's dealing with, it, I think they're trying to protect him a little bit and put him in a best position to succeed. Yeah. But that, for me, is where Braden Shen's lacking. I mean, he's just a natural centerman. I think he likes to be in the middle of the play. He likes to go to the front of the net. He likes to be the one that sets the play up. But for Perron... I, I know you I know you don't want to go back to it right now because it just wasn't working and frankly Buchnevich and Barbashev seem to be productive. I mean O'Reilly's got points in two of his last three or three of his last four games. But I think you gotta find a way to put Perron and O'Reilly back together and somebody's gotta click on that wing with them. Whether it be Barbashev or Buchnevich, someone's gotta click with them. But the problem is Buchnevich and Barbashev have been a really good pairing this year that you can't break those two up. So it's tough, especially if Shen can't play the center position. Yeah, I, I just don't know that there's a great option for them right now. And then this all gets to be even more interesting whenever Vladimir Tarasenko is able to return. Exactly, and he goes should, to the fourth line. He should be a, at least eligible to return for the Kraken game, right? If, if, he's, if he's asymptomatic. Asymptomatic, and every, every report that we had seen thus far was that he was, correct? Yeah, I saw on Instagram uh, his, his wife posted something the other day that said that and I don't want to speculate here I'm going back but I, I thought she said something about the symptoms started to show up but I mean you're they don't skate again until Wednesday that will be the telling sign if Vladdy's not on the ice come Wednesday then you know he was symptomatic which means he's out for 10 days but you're and right even if so that's only another couple of games that you're going to potentially he would be, be without back him. I think he would be eligible to come back on Saturday against Toronto if he was the 10 days but the way they've been handling it probably more likely either Monday, Monday or the, Nashville. the next game after that is Friday so it would be yeah. Missing two to three more games yeah. is what you're probably looking at. If he does have to miss those 10, when he returns, that's when you really have some interesting conversations because are you going to keep Kairou on the right side with Thomas? Do you go back to Thomas, Kairou, Tarasenko? Um, do you put Tarasenko with Sonny? Do you move Saad to, to the center? I, 
that that's when things get really difficult. Yeah, and, and I, think, I don't know what you do with Perron there either. I think you're going to be paying attention to what happens if Vladdy doesn't come back until Monday versus Nashville. I think you're going to be paying attention to what happens over the next two games in terms of chemistry because chemistry looked like it's been picking up for O'Reilly, Barbashev, and Buchnevich. Um, the line for Thomas and Cairo was a little stagnant, although they did score on the power play. And then that third line, I think for right now, if I were to say Vladdy's coming back, I would put Vladdy back with Thomas and Cairo, and I would try and figure something out with that third line and try and find a way to get Perron going with somebody. I know it sucks, but maybe you just see if Shen can be back at the center position. I was about to say, I think I would put Sonny down on the fourth line. I, I think yeah. I would go Sonny as your fourth line center, kick Bozak out to, to the, the wing. wing. Costin removed from the lineup for now with Logan Brown and Bozak flanking Sonny on that fourth line. The other thing I might try is I might try and put Logan Brown at the center position on the third line. See what you can get from him. I mean, he's played. I mean, he was playing the number one power play unit for a while there. But then you're taking one of these guys and putting them on the fourth line when when Vladdy returns. Perron, Kairou, Thomas, Shin, Sod. No, I mean, I'm not touching the top two. I, I would be looking at yeah, Sod or Perron on the fourth line, and I know that sucks to say. I'm not looking at it as a fourth line here. I'm just looking at trying to find other chemistry for your team. Maybe one of those guys clicks with Tyler Bozak. But it's just another thing to try and consider. If you can't play Braden Shen at the center position, maybe you look at Logan Brown getting an opportunity there. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. The Blues back in action on Thursday night. Tomorrow, you'll hear the Last Minute Blues podcast right here on 101 ESPN Thursday. Blues versus Kraken. Alex will have your pregame coverage, as always, at 6 o'clock on Thursday night. Coming up next, let's play a game of in or out. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we're in or or out next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with PK and Ferrario. Oh, didn't feel as inspired today. Yeah, yeah, no. D- didn't feel like it had some oomph behind really it. Nailed the Beach Boys at eleven. What yeah, happened? coffee kicked. Co- coffee kicked in at eleven. It's starting oh. to fade. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service X line for in or out. Let's start with this one, boys. In or out? There will be two road teams, two or more road teams that win this weekend in the NFL. So two underdogs will win outright. So, so who are the road teams? Philly's a road team. San Fran. San Fran's a road team. Here they are. Raiders, Patriots on Saturday. Eagles, 49ers, Steelers on Sunday. And then the Cardinals are your Monday night road team. So the lower seeds. I'd say I'm in on that. Two road teams? I could see two. I mean, look, I, I think San Francisco is winning this one straight up. I, I, San Francisco just looks like a, a team on a mission right now. Between the Raiders and Patriots, I could see one of those teams coming away with an upset I, I i know you're sold on philly i'm not but i'd say i'm in on this two teams that seems to be doable yeah I'm with and the you. cardinals too they give oh, you yeah, another the cardinals. yeah forgot about that i think i'm in on this and i i think i'm with you i think 49ers can take down the cowboys i think one of those road teams on saturday raiders or patriots could win and sadly i think the cardinals will beat the rams on the road so i could easily see i could see three or four honestly yeah i'm in on this as well i think you'll see a few upsets this weekend i I would not be surprised at all if the Eagles beat the Bucks. I will be probably picking the Eagles to cover at a minimum. We'll see on the win. Just depending. Eight and a half. It's, it's a big line. 
Um, and then we'll see on whether or not they end up like what the injuries look like going into that one. I'm with you guys on the 49ers. They've got a real shot and the Cardinals feel like an easy upset pick on the road. The only teams that I really have no faith in to be able to pull off an upset. I think the Steelers are going to get crushed. I'll be stunned if they even make that a game against Kansas City. I don't think the Raiders have any chance against the Bengals, to be totally really? honest with you guys. And I, I think Saturday is going to be a rough day. I think Saturday the Bengals win like 31 to 10. And I think the Bills win something similar. I think both of those teams win going away. See, the only one that I think is going to be a blowout is the Steelers Chiefs game. I think the Raiders could beat the Bengals. And it I, really I think stinks that we're stuck with the, the Steelers. Yeah. It really stinks. I can't tell you how much I was rooting for a tie last night. The Chargers getting in and playing the Chiefs would have been a lot of fun. I think they would have had a legitimate shot to upset the Chiefs in that first round. If the Colts got in, I don't think they could have done it, but I would have been interested to see what Jonathan Taylor could do against that defense. Steelers have nothing, man. <laughs> they got nothing. They have a quarterback that's old and can't throw anymore. A defense that has a really good pass rusher in TJ Watt and not a whole lot else. They're the worst run defense in the league. I just, they, I, I'm giving them zero the chance whatsoever. they win nine games? I was looking at their numbers. To, I thought their offense was going to be lower than this in terms of points. How many games do you think they scored 30 or more points? Three. And I know that's Two. quite a, that's quite a bit of points, but a lot of good high-powered offense could do it once. Yeah. They did it once this year where they scored 30 or more. Who'd they do it against? Uh, I think it was Baltimore, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to look and see. They scored 30 in a loss against the Chargers. That's who it was. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Chargers aren't in a, a good, loss Chargers against aren't the Chargers. Chargers aren't a good team. God, the Chargers, man. 65780 is the air comfort service sex live for in or out. Guys, in or out, the Blues will have to settle for a wild card spot in the playoffs if they don't acquire a top four defenseman. Uh, I'm going to say I'm out on this. Even if they don't acquire a top four defenseman, I think the Blues are a top three team in the Central. I know there's four teams right now performing. We all can agree Colorado's going to be up there. I think considering that the Blues played Minnesota twice in the last month of the season, that could be a moment that sways the, the difference. And by the way, Minnesota right now is going through what the Blues have gone through. The only difference is all of their guys are going down at the same time. They've lost Kaprizov. They've lost Brodeen. Those guys are out some for an extended time. How do they handle that adversity? I, I think the Blues get in regardless if they make a move for a defenseman as a top three team in the central, if they make a move for a defenseman, I could see the blues winning the central. That's where I am. I'm, I'm out on this. I, I think they're a top three team. I think they're the third best team without a top four defenseman in this division behind Colorado, maybe behind Minnesota. I think them and Minnesota are very similar. I, I'm not in on Nashville. I know they're a top of the central and they played 36 games. So I probably should buy in, but I'm just not their goaltender right now is a Vezina trophy winner yeah i mean a, he, he's team stat he's I mean, playing he's playing like out of his mind i, I just sorrows yes yeah i just don't know if i buy into nashville still and maybe yeah. maybe i never will maybe this year but i don't know that i i think they're top three in this division i'm with alex they acquire top four defensemen to me they're up there as the favorite maybe a little bit behind colorado yeah you guys can sweep it i don't think they're going to be outside of that top three in the division regardless of what moves they decide to make I, this is a really good team and any of the quibbles that we may have about them are surrounding that that's the premise right the blues are really good okay how do they become great and potentially special Th those are the conversations that we're having about the blues right now so when we bring up like hey you know uh, shin and Perron, they're just not up to their normal production numbers 
that's not a shot at the team. That's just a statement of, okay, they're not quite up there yet. If they do get there, though, imagine what that unlocks for what yeah. the Blues could become. So I, I'm with you guys. I think that they are a team that is absolutely a contender and will not have to be in a wild card conversation. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out with Derrick Henry potentially coming back from the IR in the postseason, the Titans are the team to beat in the AFC. So how much did he play? He didn't. Oh, yesterday. so he didn't play mm-hmm. yesterday. I missed a lot of those games because of the hockey game at the time, but because he didn't play, man, I just don't know what he's going to be. I still think the Titans are the team to beat. I'm going to say I'm in on this. If he's coming back, it tells me that he feels like he's ready to go. And if he's there and they had Julio Jones, they have AJ Brown. I'm going to say that the Tennessee's the team to beat right now. So I'm in. I'm out. I think you got to take down the Giants to get that. And that is you got to take down the, the Giants. They, no, 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 they've no. done that. No, no, no. Not the Giants. The Chiefs. Everybody I, did I think that. I think you got to take down the Chiefs, the Giants of the AFC who've been to the Super Bowl. Uh, what the last two years, right? They so won't get through the Steelers. To, to me, you okay? To me, you have to take them down for me to even buy in, which would be AFC Championship. But I can't buy into the Titans. I, I'm with Alex. I just don't know what he's going to look like when he comes back. Do it, PK. Say you love the Pittsburgh Steelers. No, that's ridiculous. Big bet. Big. No, oh, nobody. No, it doesn't rhyme. I thought I felt the moment there. No, you did not. I'm out on this one. The Titans are not the favorite in the AFC. Considering a Chiefs fan just said that. Who could have seen that one coming? I do think that the Chiefs are the favorite in the AFC. What? I would have the Bills over the Titans as well. The Bills finished the year in the top five in both scoring offense and scoring defense. Did you see their puncher yesterday? He bobbled bobbled the ball and then he was being pressured and he tried to punt it while he was under pressure and I think he kicked like five yards. I did not see that play. (laughs) It was incredible. (laughs) Alex missed the entire day of football. He saw that one. He was under pressure and he's like, I'm going to punt this on the run and it just like went five yards in the air. All right, final thing here for in or out. Guys, in or out, by the end of the season, Tommy Edmond will be considered a top 10 second baseman. MLB Network Radio put out their top 10 uh, second baseman in baseball yesterday. He was not among the list. They had Marcus Simeon, Ozzie Albies, Jose Altuve, Brandon Lau, Cattell Marte was fifth on their list. Jonathan India, Jake Cronenworth, uh, Whit Merrifield, Chris Taylor, and Kike Hernandez. That was their top 10. In or Does out. Kike Hernandez even play second base? I feel like he, he plays, plays everywhere. Yeah. Oh, in okay. or out. By the end of the season, kind of like Tommy Edmond. Tommy Edmond will be a top 10 second baseman. I'm out because the Cardinals will trade him for Cattell Marte. Okay. Oh, I'm not in on that. Nice. Uh, I'm in on this. I think he takes another step. I mean, it's two years that he's taken different steps towards where he is now. So I can see him taking another step forward, especially with Ali Marmol as they're buying into the system. I'll say I'm in on this. I think Tommy Edmond takes that next one. I think I'm going to be out on this just because I think by June, July, he's going to be more of the utility man and Gorman will be the everyday second baseman. And whether that is he's having a great year or not, I just think that's how the Cardinals want to play it. And to me, the step he has to take to get there is he has to improve the on-base percentage and hit right-handed pitching. I just don't know if he's going to be able to do it. We've seen two, three years in a row where he hasn't really improved on-base-wise. Yeah, that's it. That That's the number one thing. If he's able to raise his on-base percentage, he takes a few more walks or just – 
if he hits 300 for the season, either one of those two, whichever one, I mean, it's easier to just take more walks than it is to hit 300 over the course of a year. But if he's able to get there, that's the way you become a top 10 second baseman because he's got the defense. He's outstanding. He's a great base runner. Everything outside of the on-base percentage, he does really well. He just doesn't walk ever. He's like one of the lowest walk rates in baseball. So if he's able to improve that number, first of all, he fixes your on, uh, leadoff problem that you have right now at the top of the order. He's the prototypical leadoff man with the way that he runs the bases. But if he's able to do that, you're going to have a top 10 second baseman. I'm not going to bet on it. I'm not I'm not in on this because could you hate Tommy? Evans? We've now seen three straight years of him not changing when it comes to his walk rate. I think if he can improve the walk rate, I think he's like a 275 to 280 hitter. Just because he's gonna, the average gonna go up You'll for taking more. more walks, and he's seeing more pitches because teams aren't are more aggressive in the strike zone with him, knowing that he's gonna take more pitches now. I mean, like, he becomes an extension candidate after the season, yeah. legitimately, if he improves that walk because he's he's great. Well, like you mentioned, he's a great base runner. He steals spaces. Tommy two bags. He had what thirty doubles, forty doubles this mm-hmm. year. I mean, he is the perfect. He's like the Matt Carpenter if he can just improve the on oh, edge, basically. Great. No, no, not the out of prime Matt. I'm Carpenter. out. With Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, did last night, yesterday's win, seal the deal for Craig Berube's contract extension? I think Alex is leaning on the yes. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. circle it goes they center they score two to one blues two to one blues that puck deflected in off a dallas defenseman and inside the final minute the blues have gone from a one nothing deficit to a two to one lead kairu has them on top that's what it sounded like last night as the blues for the first time in the history of the franchise won a game in regulation after trailing going into the final minute with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, the blues played really well over the weekend, the game on Friday night against Washington. Then yesterday, what we saw from them coming back in that one against the wild. And the thing that's surprising to me is that their coach who's been at the helm for all of this is still not under contract beyond this year. And we've been talking about this really since the very beginning of the season. We thought maybe this would get done in the off season for whatever reason. There is nothing at least publicly that's been now announced on a contract extension for Barubi. Did yesterday seal the deal though? Are, are, are you ready as a blues fan to lock this thing up and keep Barubi here long-term? Absolutely. Uh, yesterday, in my opinion, sealed the deal to give the man a five-year contract. Uh, I mean, Craig Berube should be with this team for the long term here. I mean, let's look at the evidence. One, he has continuous. He has continued to make this team a contender every year that he has been with the St. Louis Blues, and he has not had a normal season. That's impressive in itself. On top of that, look at this season. In general, how many times have we heard somebody reference, well, Chief went in in the middle of that game and gave a a speech to the team and they came out and they answered the bell? I mean, I can count about four times, not including last night's game against Dallas. That's another check in the box. How about Vladimir Tarasenko, where everyone, us included, was like, there's no way you can have this guy on the team. 
He's now the second most point producer on this roster. On top of that, he has found a way to overcome adversity with this roster. He has found ways to have guys buy in to this team. He's implemented new players into the system. He's brought new guys in into the system. And he has continued to grow these younger players. In my opinion, there are... Well, there were two head coaches in the National Hockey League that I would put above Craig Berube. One of them is John Cooper in Tampa. The other was Paul Maurice in Winnipeg, but Paul Maurice now has basically resigned. So in my opinion, there's two head coaches that are at the top. It's John Cooper and it's Craig Berube. And I don't know how, if you're Doug Armstrong, you can look at what has taken place with this team, not just this season, but the last two, and say, we're going to hold on and wait this one out to see what happens. You got to get the guy locked up. Yeah, I'm with you. I'd put Sullivan. Is it Sullivan and Pittsburgh in that same conversation? I would put him a little bit below Craig Berube because Mike Mike Sullivan has been really good, but I don't know what that team looks like without Crosby and Malkin and Latang on it. That's fair, but I'm I'm at the point now where I I didn't even need yesterday's game to tell me Berube needed an extension. That's that's a good point. I I I think I was there beforehand. He just seems to be the guy that comes to fit in, and you know the Tarasenko one is the perfect example of it because. You're talking about a disgruntled veteran, as you mentioned, that could have easily just called it quits on this team. Not, I mean, he showed up, but he could have showed up and really not put 100% effort into it. And he's come out and he's having a resurgence in his career because of coming off the shoulder surgeries. We wondered if his career wasn't done, but we didn't know if he'd be the same player. He's come back and he's been better than we were all expecting. And that's a part to, A, Vladimir Tarasenko, but also, B, Craig Brewery getting him to buy into this system. I mean, you look at all the coaching changes they make, or coaching changes. You look at all like the line combos that they throw out there. Every one of them seems to work. So not only is he good with his players, he's also good strategically when he comes to managing the lines, managing this team. I, I don't know what else that Doug Armstrong and the St. Louis Blues need to see to get this contract extension done. I think there are two things. If I had to guess, this is me kind of reading the tea leaves, right? One... I think you want to find out what it looks like. Continue to find out what it looks like in the month of January as you're going up against all of these contenders. It's off to a great start. There's no other way to look at it. This has been a tremendous start to the month. You want to see what it looks like going up against other legitimate contenders with your roster in place. So when Vladdy returns, you'll be able to see that again because there were at least some open questions on, okay, does does this identity work with all of your best players? Or was that more suited for those guys that were coming up from the AHL that play a little heavier, play a North-South style? Like, what Berube wants to do, they were more than happy to buy into because that's stylistically what a lot of those players fit into. I think that was one of the questions. I don't have a whole lot about that anymore, but I guess you could get to the rest of the month to find out for sure what that looks like. The other thing is just what what do the playoffs looks like, look like? And we can have as many explanations, excuses, whatever we want to call it for what's taken place over the last couple of years. It hasn't been pretty. You lose in the first round each of the last two seasons after that Stanley Cup final. Now, those are different circumstances. You're in the bubble in 2020. And then last year, no fans in the stands, just a weird situation. Injured all year. Yeah. uh, Perron goes out right beforehand. Just you didn't have your right team. Falk gets injured in the middle of that series. It was ugly. And now you have a team that is actually in the image of Craig Berube, and we all believe in them. We think this is a real contender. So I guess those are the only things that you're really waiting on. You want to see what it looks like when you've got your full roster allotted to you, and you can see what Craig Berube's system looks like with them out there. And also, you want to find out what it looks like in the playoffs. I wouldn't wait till the playoffs. If you get into February where they have that pause where previously the Olympics were supposed to be held, and they've only got like three games, I think, to make up there, that's when I would get it done. 
But if they want to find out what he's going to be able to do in the postseason, I, I guess I understand that. But like, what are you going to decide not to bring him back if they end up losing in the second round? What What's the threshold that he has to pass there? It seems kind of silly to me. I, I would be getting it done in February. And even if they get bounced, are you going to be blaming Barubi or are you going to be looking at the area that I, I mean, because like the defense? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's where I was thinking. Or the goaltending. I mean, we talked about Bennington a little bit earlier on and I asked you guys what you need to do. And you said you need to see him perform in the playoffs again. But yeah, I, I mean, if they don't make a move for a defenseman. I mean, I'm going to be looking more at Doug Armstrong than I'd be looking at Craig Berube here. And here's here's the biggest thing for me why I think this should get done. And it's the growth of these younger players by Craig Berube. And look, this is his coaching staff, too. Like, if you're going to talk about one, you got to talk about the other. Got to talk about Mike Van Ryan and Steve Ott, now with Jim Montgomery and David Alexander. But guys, think about this. Your top point producers on this team, before you even get to Ryan O'Reilly, are Robert Thomas, 21, 22 years old, Ivan Barbashev, who was a fourth-line player for you a couple of years ago. Pavel Buchnevich, who you just acquired this offseason. Vladimir Tarasenko, who didn't want to be here this past offseason. And Jordan Cairo. I mean, you're five point producers on this team. Before you talk about Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron, are all either less than 25 years old, new players, or disgruntled players. Like, in my opinion... A head coach who can get that production from those type of players has to be a part of the future because he knows how to take players that are in smaller roles and get the most out of them. You, I mean, you're basically milking that cow for everything that's inside of it. You can't let a coach like that move on. He's maximizing what your roster has right now. I mean, I, I think I heard you talking about this with Kerber on the broadcast the other night in the postgame show. His ability to get the most out of young players and to continue to develop them on the pace that each individual player needs to develop at, I think might be his most underrated skill mm-hmm. because we think about Barubi as this tough, hard nosed, grinded out head coach. But typically those are the guys that lean away from the young players that are very hesitant to really go all in on those guys. That's not the case with Craig Berube. Berube leans into the young players. And yeah, sometimes he he can be in a post-game press conference and there's a bad decision that was made and he can be very honest about stuff. But he's also honest with the players. And I think that's what's important is his communication style allows them to understand exactly what is expected of them. I remember he talked with the fast lane after Perunovic had that really bad turnover. And they asked him, like, hey, you know what? When you have a situation like that, and Perunovic was sat down the next game, is that something where he was being punished for for that decision? And Berube told them, he was like, no, I I never want a player to feel like they're being punished. We talked about it afterwards. We we want him to continue making those plays. And yeah, maybe it is a little bit more dangerous, but we don't want to take away what makes him special. But we also need to reel it in a little bit so that way he's making smarter decisions. That's essentially the gist of what he said to them. And I think that's such a huge and critical thing in today's game where you are getting younger and faster and more dynamic with some of these players. Berube has adjusted to the times in so many different ways. And I didn't know if it was going to work with this group, but man, has it ever. You mentioned it. Kairu, Tarasenko, Buchnevich, Barbashev, and Thomas as your top five producers. That's insane. If you told me that before the season, I would have been like, no way. Yeah, if you would no have been way. told before the season that O'Reilly and Perron will not be in your top five in points midway through the season, I think you'd be saying, well, that's going to be a bad year. Yeah. 
what what in the world happened? Right. And, and is O'Reilly hurt for yeah. the vast majority? Are O'Reilly and Perron hurt for the majority? Well, and how of the about season? this one? This just I, I couldn't believe this. I just looked this up. So Tory Krug and Justin Falk, two guys that were brought in to quote unquote replace Alex Petrangelo. Did you guys understand that those two guys are top twenty in the National Hockey League and plus minus? I mean, Tory Krug is a plus fourteen with twenty points, and Justin Falk is a plus eighteen. Justin Falk is top ten in plus minus. Yeah. And I know plus minus doesn't matter to some people, but plus eighteen when you only have fourteen points on the season, like that's impressive as a defenseman. Which means guys are not scoring when he is on the ice. Yeah, I mean, for better or worse, the three guys that you've added over the last few seasons, Falk, Buchnevich, and Krug. Those are the guys that are leading your team right now. Yeah. Plus minus, plus and then 18, you got plus Mikula. 16, and plus 14. Then you got Mikula, who's playing 20 minutes a night, and he's just shut down the top two lines these last two games. Yeah. It, it's been impressive. So to, to kind of recap our conversation here, none of us feel like you need to necessarily wait. And yeah. maybe it was last night. Maybe it was the Capitals game. Maybe it's what he did with the young guys coming up and having so much success, whatever it is. Yeah, Craig Berube should be the long-term head coach here in St. Louis, and it's for all of these different reasons. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, the BK and Ferrario Rewind. Let's get back to our conversation about Jordan Bennington. I think I can put a finer point on what I was trying to say, and I did so poorly earlier today. We'll do that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. from today's show be sure to check out the podcast page it's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers at 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. so earlier today we got into a little bit of a heated discussion about Jordan Bennington and where he ranks among the NHL's goalies and I said I I'm not sure that I can say right now that I consider him to be a great goalie. I do think he is very good, and he has been great in his history. And for the Blues to win a cup again this year, he's going to need to be great for them once again. And I didn't do a very good job of explaining as to why I feel that way. And so I did want to give a a few of the things that I was looking at earlier as to why I feel that way. So over the last three seasons, there have been 35 goalies that have started at least 50 games. And among those goalies, Jordan Bennington currently ranks 13th in save percentage, 23rd in goals allowed on average, third in high danger save percentage. He's really good at those high danger shots. He's a guy that keeps you in a game even when the opponent has some really good chances against him. But he's 29th in shots allowed per game. So that means he's he's not seeing very many shots on average per game compared to the other guys that are around the league. He's giving up too many of those easy goals. And that's always been the case with Bennington or since 2019. It's been the case with Bennington. And that's my biggest issue. If he's able to smooth out some of those easier goals that slide in that he would say even afterwards, hey, I'd like to have that one back. That's the way he gets back to being great. And if he's able to do that the rest of this season, we're not going to really have many questions at all about the Blues. But that's that's my biggest thing with him. I think he's very good. I think he's probably in that 10 to 15 type of conversation right now. And for the Blues to win the Cup this year, they need him to be firmly in the top 10. Yeah, and I think we, we said it best when we kind of capped that segment. It comes down to consistency. I can defend Bennington 
every day until I'm blue in the face because I think he is a good goaltender, a great goaltender, I should say. But it comes down to consistency. You can't have a season where you're giving up three or more goals, 16 to 21 starts. That has to be corrected. You correct that this season, I think people start changing your tune a little bit on how on, on who he is. We'll talk more about Bennington and the Blues tomorrow. Coming up from 2 to 6, it's the Fast Lane. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Fun, 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 Listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.